Blog Talk Radio. And time is never planned It's not on any chart You must find it in your heart Never, never It may be miles beyond the moon Or right there where you stand Just and bind and then suddenly you'll find never never land you'll have a treasure if you stay there more precious more than gold for once you have found your way there you will never That's my home where dreams are born And time is never planned Just think of pleasant things And your heart will fly on wings forever
Welcome to another special edition of Rungan Radio. Tonight, we remember, we honor, and we celebrate the life of Mark Moogie Klingman, who unfortunately passed away last week. For our longtime listeners, you may know that Moogie's been on the show multiple times since our beginning in 2007. The first show he was on was November 27, 2007. We'll be playing some clips from that show. So the way we're going to do this tonight is we're going to break it down into segments. And some of these uh, clips will be in succession, and they will be hopefully and typically in chronological order uh, from different shows. So we had Moogie on at least seven times, and we also have a clip that we'll be playing from an interview that Fernando Perdomo did for Keyboard Magazine. And a little bit of music mixed in as well. And then in the third hour, we'll be taking your calls, hopefully. We look forward to talking to you. Before we do that, we've got to make a couple announcements concerning this. Uh, first of all, this show will be about Moogie. We're not going to go into Icron or any other kind of announcements or talk about the Utopia Tour. We'll save that for another show. This one tonight is all about Moogie, Cruiser Mail. Where, how can people find out when we're going to do that next show? Well, there's a multitude of ways. They can keep an eye on our Facebook page, our website, or sign up for the newsletter, and if you sign up for that, you will definitely get an announcement sent straight to your email telling you when uh, and what time we're going to be doing the show. It's it's probably going to be in, in in the next few weeks. So have no fear. We will have a chance to discuss the tour and Icron and Michelle Rundgren's birthday party and all that. So get yourself signed up on the newsletter. The way you do that is rundgrenradio.com. Yes, that is on the Join Us page. I hope you like the new newsletter, by the way. If you've already a subscriber, you've seen the new look. Also tonight, we're going we're gonna to play clips for a couple of hours. And then in the third hour, sometime in the third hour, we will be taking calls from fans, friends, bandmates possibly, anybody that would like to talk about Moogie, their favorite memory, anything they want to say. We would uh, love to take your call. 646-716-9262 is the number. By the way, that intro clip that we played or intro music that we played was from the January 30th Highland Ballroom Show, New York City this year. Moogie Klingman, of course, on piano. Todd Rundgren singing Never Never Land. Moogie has already been on one radio show, Cruiser Mail. He was on Deep Tracks on XM. Uh, Deb Smith-Stokes got that set up with a DJ she communicates with apparently on Facebook, I think. And he did a nice dedication for Moogie and played the song Dust in the Wind. If you haven't heard that, uh, it is available on Facebook on our Todd Rungren Rungren Radio page. Or you can email us and we'll be happy to tell you how to find that. That was really nice of them to do it. Mm -hmm. Also, we have a place for you to make donations to Moogie's family if you would like. Uh, If you've ever been involved in any kind of medical situation uh, like this, the expenses can be insurmountable, and times can get tough. We all know this. So if you'd like to help out Moogie, the folks at the ShiningSteel.com website, which was created by Gene Lakowitz and Ed Vigdor for the 
tsunami uh, Japanese situation. Uh, they now have that site updated with information on how you can directly give to Dorit and George Moogie surviving family members. And I know they would very much appreciate, Dorit has already expressed that appreciation to Jean. People can also purchase uh, music directly from Moogie's website, which of course will help the family, and that would be at moogiemusic.com. Yes, and also, you know, at, at Icron, we had uh, auctions. Mark Wooden had a watch that he made, a real nice Utopia watch that he auctioned off, and Nancy Sackmore had made some displays uh, that she auctioned off, and all that money went to the Moogie Fund, basically, I guess what we can call it, went to help out Moogie's family in this time of need. So if you want to help out with that, ShiningSteel.com is the website. And speaking of Dort, she is planning a memorial for Moogie for fans to attend at some point. Cruiser Mail, we don't have any dates or any information on that. Is that correct? That's correct. Nothing yet, but uh, she does promise there will be a memorial service coming up. So we'll keep you on loop on that. If you're a subscriber to our newsletter, we'll email you there, and we'll plaster it everywhere on the appropriate Todd sites and Utopia sites uh, once that information is available. So without further ado, let's begin the show. Mark Moogie Klingman was born September 7, 1950, and grew up in Great Neck, Long Island, but later called New York City his home. Moogie, oddly enough, was a nickname given to him by a sibling when they couldn't pronounce Marky. It really has nothing at all to do with the Moog synthesizers, which is spelled M-O-O-G. He's best known for co-writing the hit song, You Gotta Have Friends, which became Bette Midler's signature song, and for his association with Todd Rundgren as a founding member of Todd Rundgren's Utopia, though he worked with countless other musicians, which you're going to hear about tonight. Sadly... Moogie passed away from cancer November 15th. Some sources say it was early on November 16th. He is survived by his wife, Dorit, and his son, George. Great stuff, Cruiser Mel. What a great life. It's a great bio. Moogie Klingman, Mark Moogie Klingman. There are a couple things that really stood out when we researched for this show to honor Moogie Klingman. He's been on Rungren Radio seven times at least that we know of that we could find. I'm sure there's more. He was a constant guest and always a fun one. And, of course, very informative, very talkative. As we all know, Moogie loved to talk. So a couple things that really stand out that I think Moogie Klingman clearly wanted before he left this earth. One of them was to reunite with the original Utopia band, Mark II, Utopia Van, which he had the opportunity to do, of course, in January. You're going to see that is evidently clear during this show tonight as we play clips. We'll let Moogie tell you. You can hear it from him, uh, from the clips from some of the earlier shows that we did with him. Also, the second thing is he did not want to be written out of history as far as the Todd Utopia world history goes. Luckily for Moogie, he has not been written out. One of the things that clearly made a difference for him was the fact that he got this reunion and put the band back together, if you will. 
in January, but also he's in Billy James' books about Todd Rundgren. He's in Paul Meyer's book about Todd Rundgren. And we have permanently archived shows with Moogie here on Rundgren Radio. There's plenty of ways to find out and hear from Moogie Klingman and about his life, what he was about, his influences, everything. We're going to break that down for you tonight in his words from Moogie Klingman. So we'll start with a clip from when he was on in 2009. We're discussing a Wizard of True Star, and this is where Moogie lets us know he doesn't want to be written out of the history of Todd Rundgren. And, and something to think about with that, too, is that you're going to hear how many connections Moogie had and how many bands and musicians he performed with and hung out with. But at the end of the day, to me, anyhow, and I think some of y'all, most of y'all would agree, that clearly the most important to him was Utopia, Todd Rundgren's Utopia. And it was very important to him that he reconciled with Todd, he got this band back together, and he got to perform the music that he loved. And he got to do that. And if you look at the November tour with Utopia Mark II, uh, Moogie did not get to make the tour because he was not able to physically, which was sad for a lot of people. I know we all wanted to see Moogie. But don't feel sorry for Moogie Klingman. I don't think we should, and I'll tell you why. You just can't top those January shows for Moogie. The second tour was about Utopia's first two albums. It was going to be about that whether Moogie went or not. The shows in January at the Highline Ballroom were about Moogie Klingman. You had Moogie's songs played, Ladyface, Crying in the Sunshine, You Gotta Have Friends, Dust in the Wind. You had the crowd chanting, Moogie, Moogie, Moogie. It was a benefit for Moogie. There couldn't have been a better scenario than the Highline Ballroom in January for Moogie Klingman. And trying to top it or do anything even like it would not have succeeded, in my opinion. But the second tour was great for Moogie Klingman because the band, as Todd said, the best way to honor Moogie Klingman is to play the music that he loved, and that's exactly what they did, and they played their hearts out. Despite being in a very difficult situation of losing a key player in the band, and then a little bit after the middle of the tour their friend, their bandmate, Moogie Klingman, passing away. January was huge for Moogie Klingman. It was a dream come true. He's going to tell you that. It'll be in his words. So without further ado, let's break down some of the interviews we did with Moogie, and we'll start again with that clip of us talking about A Wizard, A True Star from 2009. Here we go. Talk about um, the band that, that became the band that, that did AWOTS, which was Moogie and the Rhythm Kings. Because um, as Rundgren Radio fans may know, Baywatch, A Wizard of True Star, uh, was recorded in my home with my band. Right. And uh, I, I um, don't want to be written out of history here, so I, I want to um, uh, talk about those days, about where we built Secret Sound and Moogie and the Rhythm Kings, uh, did uh, Wizard of True Star, and then became uh, Todd Rundgren's Utopia. Let's talk about some of his influences, or let's let him talk about that. We had a call from Al Cannon. This was in 2011, February the 8th to be exact. Al called in and asked him a great question about why he 
chose keyboards and piano for his music career. And I can remember the very first time that I decided I wanted to be a drummer. And I was wondering if there was a moment with you that made you want to play keyboards. There is. Um, the moment happened when I was watching TV and I was 12 years old and I saw a movie on television called Rhapsody in Blue. Uh, it was the life story of George Gershwin and the big climactic scene in the movie was him doing the full Rhapsody in Blue in Carnegie Hall. Um, and it was spectacularly shot, just the way they did it, the way they shot it, and the music itself. And, and after I saw that movie, I decided I wanted to learn to play the piano. I wanted to learn to play the Rhapsody in Blue, and I wanted to be a piano composer like George Gershwin. And the very next day, I started playing the piano. I guess kind of like my son after my concert. Uh, the next day, I, I we had had a piano in the house, but they were encouraging my brother to learn to play it, who had no interest. And they were, they had given me guitar lessons, which I had very little interest in. Um, so after I saw that movie at age 12, I started playing the piano the next day. And I started taking lessons. And in six months, I could play a very simplified version of Rhapsody in Blue. One of Moogie's biggest influences is somebody I know a lot of you are fans of, and also Todd Rundgren was very influenced by this person, that is Laura Nero. Laura has been nominated three years in a row for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. She's not in yet, neither is Todd, of course. But we know that Laura Nero was a fantastic singer-songwriter. And let's hear from Moogie himself. This uh, comes from a show in 2007, our very first show with Moogie Klingman. Here's Moogie discussing the influence Laura Nero had on him and Todd. Laura Nero was a big influence on me and Todd. That's one of the things that brought us together, is that we were both gigantic Laura Nero fans. My first band was called The Glitter House, and The Glitter House was on Bob Crew's record label. And Bob Crew produced The Four Seasons and Frankie Valli and Mitch Ryder, just a lot of these big harmonious acts. And his arranger's name was Charlie Colello. Charlie Coletto arranged all the Four Seasons hits, all the Frankie Valley hits, and did a lot of work with Bob Crew. Anyway, Charlie Colello found this girl, Laura Nero, and he produced, you know, her first album on Columbia called Laura Nero and the 13th Confessions. And we were at Bob Crew's house one night, and Bob Crew had this amazing apartment. He had a, a triplex penthouse on Fifth Avenue in like 6060 or something. He just, you know, he was so wealthy, had so many hits, and he owned his own record label. He just got all the money, you know, uh, from his music business experiences, unlike a lot of us who don't get the money, who've done big successes. Um, and we were just there, and then he slips on this Laura Nero album, and we're all, like, pretty stoned on some, some good weed at the time. And uh, back, and we're talking... When was this? 1969, maybe. 1969. Eli and the 13th Confessions, before the album came out, we just heard this thing, and we couldn't believe how good it sounded. And we didn't know if it was because we were stoned or what. And, and it was an advanced copy. And we left Bob Cruz's house, and, and the whole band was like, on the floor, did we really hear this woman? Was she really as good as we thought? Is this album is real? And then, <clears throat> like a few months later, it came out, and it was just this amazing record, Eli and the 13th Confessions. 
and it just laid out like a way of being a singer-songwriter and playing major seventh chords that started me writing songs, really. I really became a serious songwriter after listening to Eli and the 13th Confession. And then I was hanging out with Todd, who I just met, and he was this Eric Clapton guitar player, and he came over and he started playing all these major seventh chords on my piano. I said, wait a minute, do you listen to Laura Nero? And he said, I love Laura Nero. <laughs> I said, like, we were these two guys, because she, she kind of bombed out. Her album didn't really make any noise, even though her songs were picked up by other artists. But we had this connection, because Laura Nero inspired both of us to start writing songs at the piano. Hmm. And Todd really picked up the piano from when he heard Eli and the 13th Confession. He might have played it a little before then, but after that, he was just driven to just be, you know, into taking Lauren Nero's major seventh chords and just taking them further and further out so that he, he would absorb classical influences. Uh, he would listen to classical music. He would listen to far-out English bands. He would just take the major seventh. So, like, you know, uh, on a lot of those albums, on Something, Anything, I think, mean, I mean, Something, Anything, um, even his first album had a song called Laura, I Saw You uh, Playing in L.A. So he even had a Laura Nero tribute song on his first album. And, you know, she was just a big influence on both of us. And that was a big connection between us. Because Todd, I think he really started to play and write those songs because of Laura Nero. So we all know Moogie Klingman was a great musician. We all know he had tons of connections and played in a lot of bands of course, as part of Todd Runner's Utopia. But some of you may not know, Moogie was also an actor. Moogie had some acting connections, but here's Moogie talking about a movie he was in. It is available on YouTube. If you haven't seen it, we put it on our Facebook page. The caller here is Todd fan, longtime Todd fan, Mike Adrian, with this good question. Oh, by the way, is your movie available? I would oh, yeah, yeah. you can order my website. I did a, a feature where I was the lead role. It's a musical. It's kind of a hip-hop musical. It's pretty funny. And I got to be the, the top-billed star. It ran in the theaters in New York City. Big reviews in the New York Times. That was about two years ago. You can order it at my website. It's called The Rodneys We Mod Like That. It's pretty funny. Oh, I've, I've done a bunch of acting roles since that. So uh, you, you can order that at my website. Uh, in fact, you can even see a scene from it at um, you, YouTube. um if you just uh, enter in either the Rodneys or Moogie, I think it'll come up. It's a pretty funny scene. Rodneys is spelled R-O-D-N-E-E-S, by the way, if you want to look that up on YouTube. For those of you who've heard Moogie on our shows before, there's one thing that's crystal clear about Moogie. He loves to talk about the connections that he had, the hookups to the gay people, and the bands that he was in. And you can't blame him. The guy was connected. And he brought a lot of people together, and thanks to him, a lot of great music was created. So we're going to let Moogie break it down for you. From several different shows, these are clips of Moogie talking about his connections and what bands he was in. And you're going to hear names like Jimi Hendrix, Bob Dylan. It's amazing what a career and the connections this guy had. During this segment, there will be a portion where... Moogie is discussing the Bette Midler song that he wrote with Buzzy Linhart, and this was a response to a caller question from Keith Kaufman. So without further ado, here's some more Moogie Klingman for you. 
with the theme song, You Gotta Have Friends. Yeah, absolutely. And and I've been able to put together some tremendous shows around my music. I had a birthday concert this year. I had Liberty DeVito on drums with me. I saw the Great picture. Summer. Liberty like DeVito time. was 30 years with Billy Joel, you know? Now, was that a surprise for you? You knew that was coming. That's probably pretty advertised, I guess, huh? Yeah, I mean, I hired him, and he played with me. He's done a bunch of gigs with me. I had um, Ian Lloyd from Story singing with me, and we did Brother Louie. Louie, 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 Louie. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Right, I had uh, uh, Spooky from the Naz was with me, mm-hmm. and we did a bunch of his hits. Uh, this is at my birthday gig. We had um, Patty Rothberg, who was a, you know had a, a big album between the one and the nine about ten years ago. So she's still a hot rocker. We had this guitar player, Jim Satin, who plays with me, did 14 years as Bo Diddley's band leader. You know I mean? I got all-star rock contingents. You were, I heard, childhood friends with the late comedian Andy Kaufman. Yeah, and I even got Andy and uh, Todd came together on one night, Six Degrees of Separation. Mm-hmm. Uh I had a band, the Utopia Band without Todd, playing at Max's Kansas City with Andy Kaufman in the band, doing comedy routines between songs. So I was trying to develop like a Martin and Lewis act with Andy Kaufman. This was before he was a star. Todd was already a star, and Utopia was on its way to stardom, but Andy, I think he had just started to do Saturday Night Live at this point, but it was still very early for him. And I was saying, well, we should do a Martin and Lewis thing. I just read their bio. I said, you know, I'll play piano and sing, and they'll come out and do crazy weird stuff like Jerry Lewis will do to Dean Martin, and we'll become as big as Dean and Jerry, who were like the biggest thing outside of the Beatles and Frank Sinatra. In fact, bigger probably than both of them was Martin and Lewis. They were big in nightclubs, movies, radio, TV. They were just the biggest thing that ever happened for a long time. So Andy Kaufman did this week Moogie Klingman review with Andy Kaufman. We were in, in, we passed out the flyers at the big Utopia show at Central Park this week. Uh, all the Utopia guys are going to be with Moogie at Max's Kansas City with Andy Kaufman. So we would do my songs, we'd do some Utopia stuff, and Andy Kaufman would come out between songs and be different characters. <laughs> goofing on the audience. It's a pretty high concept, you know. I bet like, that was awesome. Yeah. And then one night. Todd came down. So Todd came down. Andy Kaufman would do comedy. Todd did like some Utopia songs with us. Then Andy would do comedy. And then recently somebody gave me a cassette of Todd on stage with us and doing songs with us and then Andy doing comedy and then us doing songs with Todd. So it's going to come out. It's going to come out. Todd was my band with Andy Kaufman. That's awesome. You have that on Moogie Music, I take it? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do something. I don't know what, what the coffin people are gonna feel. It's just, I got like one or two little uh, routines with Andy between songs. We're doing like Freak Parade and, and pieces of the icon with Todd. And it's pretty strange, right? Todd Rundgren on stage with Andy Kaufman. You can't beat it, can you? He was my best friend in high school. Is that right? He, now, your sister you know, participated in editing his movie? Man in the Moon? My sister is a huge film editor in Hollywood. She does all the major Hollywood films, and she edited uh, Man on the Moon, the Andy Kaufman story. Yeah. So, yeah, she's big. Uh, and, and it was just a coincidence. It's one of those crazy coincidences. And, um, yeah, it was great 
growing up with Andy, he was pretty strange, and, and we played in a band together, our first band. It's in one of his books, one of the bios. He's in a uh, he's in um, <clears throat> E Channel documentary about Andy that that where I I'm interviewed a lot talking about growing up with him, which is pretty interesting. If you ever get to see it, they repeat it sometimes. On yeah, I've seen that. Now, so can you let us in on whether or not the wrestling injury was real or fake? The wrestling? Yeah, the the, the neck brace and the whole deal. Remember that? Well, he never would tell you, but it, uh, it started to seem to me more and more that it was fake, you know? <laughs> Somebody wants me to ask you about music from Free Creek. Yeah, and now I did with Eric Clapton and Jeff Beck and Dr. John and Keith Emerson of Emerson Lake and Palmer. It was a lot of fun, and and it's available at my website again. So I was even working with Todd. I was working with Clapton way back when. Well, this was he did this album with me when when he was with uh, Blind Face, and they were at Madison Square Garden. He came over after the show. It was a jam album, and when Clapton came to the studio, I got to produce the sessions, and it was all my tunes. Nice. It was a lot of fun, you know, it really was. And it's available. And Jeff Beck, we did sessions with him, Talk. basically doing a lot of down-home rock and funk with those guys. Sissy Strut. Sissy Strut, yeah, working in a coal mine. Uh, yeah, it was great working with Captain and Beck. I had a great time. It's available at Moogie Music, Freak Parade. Mm -hmm. Kill, Kill I mean, not the Freak beat. Parade, Free Creek, that's right. Freak Parade is... My revival of Utopia Band is an album available on Freak Parade at my site too. You know? Okay. Well, I had it back together with Kevin Elman, and we and even Chasm came and did a few gigs with us. You know? okay. That was fun. We were producing a track called "The Georgia Swing," and I called Ralph Shuckett up, and Ralph Shuckett came down uh, to the recording studio with Todd and me and James Cotton and a lot of other blues legends, Johnny Winter was on the album, Mike Bloomfield, uh, a lot of cool people. And he played uh, accordion on the Georgia Swing, which was uh, the, the song that closed the James Cotton album that we produced together. And that's the first time uh, run, uh, Ralph Shuckett recorded with me or Todd was on that album. Well, about a year later, uh, his he had left L.A., his band had broken up, and I, I, uh, I called him. I said, listen, I'm forming this band, Moogie and the Rhythm Kings. Do you want to come and play? And he said, yeah. And he came, flew out from L.A., stayed in my little apartment. And bam, I had Ralph Shuckett in my band. And, and he was just a great guy and an amazing keyboard player. And we, our styles were very similar, you know. Um, and, like, I had went from seeing this guy, like, steal this concert with James Taylor and Carol King to crashing on my couch for six months while he was waiting for my band to make it. Um, John Siegler was a friend of mine from Great Neck growing up. I played in a band with his older brother, David Siegler. And David wasn't a very good musician, but he had cool hair, and uh, he was just a cool guy. So he was like, um, you know, he's one of those guys you put in the, in the band because they have the equipment or they have a, a garage you can rehearse in. Like, David Siegler wasn't a good musician, but he played in a band with me when I was 16 called The Living Few. And we'd go over to his house, and there would be John Siegler, who was about 14 at the time, just tearing it up on the bass with, like, guys his age, other 14-year-olds. And, 14 and I said, man, this guy is a great bass player. So I started becoming friends with John Siegler. Which was tough, because when you're 16, you don't like to hang out with 14-year-olds. You know, there's kind of a caste system. Uh -huh. um, but as I got older, 
I was hanging out with John Siegler. I helped him form his first band called Air, uh, which was a lead singer named Googie Coppola that I found. And uh, she hooked up, I hooked her up with John Siegler and Mark Rosengarten, the son of Bobby Rosengarten. I don't know if you remember him. He was this big drummer. He was Dick Cavett's drummer for, for, for the life of the Dick Cavett show. So all those shows with John Lennon and Dick Cavett, well, the, the house band is conducted by Bobby Rosengarten, who's Mark Rosengarten's father, who was the drummer with John Siegler in this group called Air with Googie Coppola, and then Herbie Mann signed them to his label and then asked them to back him up. So when Siegler was about 16 or 17, he was touring Europe with Herbie Mann, playing jazz. And uh, I bumped into him in London, and he told me he was really sick of playing with Herbie Mann. And I said, well, listen, you know, would you like to join Woogie and the Rhythm Kings? And I got this uh, album coming out on Capitol. And he said yes, and he quit Herbie Mann. And uh, <clears throat> he was just maybe 18 or 19. He was a superlative bass player, just monstrous. Uh, so I had these three guys. I had John Siegler, Ralph Shuckett, and uh, John Sonnen was playing in Woogie and the Rhythm Kings, and it was just the most monstrous musicians. Like, it elevated me up, uh, you know, by about a thousand percent. In, in now, tell me how you guys ended up backing up San, Sanjaya, or whatever, however you pronounce it. <laughs> American Idol is a show I've been watching for years, and I had hoped one day I would cross paths with one of its stars. And uh, Sanjaya Malachi uh, is a friend of Barry Gruber's, who's in the Peaceniks. In fact, Barry was his stepfather at one point, married to his mother for a few years. Uh Uh, And that Barry has been helping him with his career. Uh, So I met and started hanging out with Sanjaya. I love his music. Uh, he's got a digital downloads on all, you know, on like iTunes. He wrote a book about his American Idol experiences. Uh, so uh, we were able to hook up with Sanjaya. And um, when we played at BB Kings, we did our own set, and then we backed up Sanjaya for a marathon set, like 20 songs. And Sanjaya did everything from jazz to rock to blues. Really? So, oh, yeah, he's great. He's really good, and he's charming. I think he's got a lot of bad publicity, like a lot of attacks over the years have made people really think of him in a negative light, unfortunately. But he's actually quite a good singer and songwriter, and he does a great job of it. I always liked him. You know, I didn't believe the hype of uh, Simon. Uh, and, uh, you know, so at last we got to, to play with him, American Idol guy. It was a lot of fun. To be musical director of the whole band orchestra, the art enjoyed that. But uh, the real fun of Back to the Bars was out in Hollywood when we did it at the Roxy and, and uh, Stevie Nicks sat in with us. Uh, that was a lot of fun. Stevie was, uh, she was a fun gal and she was a real party animal back in those days. And she actually, I think, sang some high notes on Hello, It's Me on the album. And it was kind of a thrill to hang out with her, you know, to have Stevie Nicks uh, down with us for the Back to the Bars album, for the one cut anyway. Well, she was apparently dating Paul Fishkin at the time, right? Yeah, yeah. He he was uh, started, I think, in the music business with Todd Rundgren, uh, bringing him along from Philly to New York. He went to work for Bearsville. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then he became president of Bearsville. Then he, he was hanging out with Stevie Nicks. He was his girlfriend. Then he started a label with Stevie Nicks. He was definitely a guy who who knew how to uh, 
do well in the music business, you know. Um, Leroy got a woman. <laughs> Peaceniks is a band I formed with, uh, Barry Gruber. Now, he sings and writes songs, and I sing and write songs, and we're both pretty obsessed with the peace thing, as John Leonard would call it, the peace thing. And uh, Barry had been organizing these yearly uh, concerts uh, for Universal Peace Day for the past 25 years on the anniversary of the bombing of Hiroshima and the bombing of Nagasaki. And it's essentially um, to call for no more war. And we do these concerts every year. And during the concert about two years ago, we decided that we'd form a peace band and all the songs would be about peace. And the mission and the goal of the band was to be for peace. So we have two albums. Uh, the second, the new album, I either wrote or co-wrote every song on the album. Uh, and it's um, all peace songs. Every song resonates. Or an interesting song that that I gave you, probably the only song that's not directly about peace, but it is about peace, because it's about the start of all the modern wars. I mean, Iraq and Afghanistan, it's a song called Have You Seen My Brother? And it's about people who died in the Twin Towers. Oh, and uh, when I wrote it, few months after um, the Twin Towers fell. I was in Manhattan when they fell. And uh, for, for you could smell it. I'm up on 79th Street. Uh, you could smell it. You could smell burning hair and burning flesh from downtown. Mm. The winds would blow it uptown. You could actually smell it, smell the, the bodies burning in the wreckage, even though it was way downtown and up on 79th. But the wind would carry it up. And, and a phenomenon happened because there were no bodies taken out of the wreckage in whole. It was like everyone just vanished and disappeared. So people who had no bodies, and nobody did, nobody was able to bury their relatives, they would start putting up posters and little signs, photographs, 8 by 10 sheets showing their relatives and... uh have you seen my brother? Have you seen my sister? And we have the picture. The last time they were seen was at uh, World Trade Center 1 and World Trade Center 2. And, and these were on every lamppost in the city. We're talking, they started going up within days and within weeks there were more and more of them. By the time a month passed, every park was clogged with these posters and pictures and people just walking the streets with pictures of their relatives saying, have you seen them? you got to have friends. I had written a... Uh a verse, uh, standing at the, actually the chorus, standing at the end of the road, la, 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 la. I, I just really had that, I thought of it as a title. I thought, well, you know, waiting for some new whatever to come on. And, and then Buzzy Linhart came over my house, and we had just started writing songs together. Uh, and uh, we kind of brainstormed in BAP. I think the whole song was written in about 30 minutes. Uh, and it's a Moogie Klingman, Buzzy Linhart song. We had that little intro into the verse and chorus. Uh, in fact, I re-recorded Friends on the new Peacenix album. It's the first time I've recorded that song in about 40 years, and uh sounds really good. Um, Buzzy Linhart then was playing at the Continental Baths, opening for Bette Midler. Now, while he was doing that, I was signed to Albert Grossman's Publishers. And the guy, and, and he managed Bob Dylan and the band and Janis Joplin and Todd Rundgren. 
and Peter, Paul, and Mary. And I thought the head of publishing would be really hip. And what he did was he said, wow, you got to have friends. This is perfect for Tiny Tim. i got to get Tiny Tim to record this. Like, Tiny Tim had just had Tiptoe Through the Tulips as a hit. And uh, it was like, you know, a fantastic, incredible nerd and kind of a joke. And that's where they saw her friends. And when Tiny Tim turned it down, they buried the song over at Grossman Publishing. But um, Buzzing Linhart played at the Continental Bath, which was a gay bathhouse in New York City, where uh, gay guys went uh, to, to kind of hang out together in towels for the steam baths and kind of make love in the corners there. Uh, and headlining at the Continental Baths was, was Bette Midler. And, and Bette Midler really came out of the Continental Baths. She came out of this gay bathhouse where guys were washing her in towels. Um and became the biggest star in the world, at, directly as a result of the buzz. And, and that is also the Buzzy Linhart, because Buzzy would play Friends in his set, and she grabbed it. She said, can I do this song? And he said, yes. And it became her theme song as she was leaving the Continental Baths. People just picked up on it. And then she did it on uh, Johnny Carson, and the rest uh, is history. It's, it's a standard, and uh, I'm glad that I, I, I got to write a standard. From, from having to leave Great Nick South to, to really getting in some bad, hard times in New York City into finding George Gershwin's check and resuming my musical career and ending up only three months later in Jimi Hendrix's band. It was unbelievable. I went up to Jimi Hendrix and I said, Jimi, uh, I have my harmonica with me. I always kept playing my harmonica. I said, could I sit in with your band? Uh, I also play keyboards. He said, sure, sit in with us. And I did. That night, the night I heard him, and, and he said, you sound great, you can join the band, come down tomorrow night with your organ, and I did. I brought down my Farfisa organ and my harmonicas, and for the next several weeks, I played in the Jimi Hendrix band called Jimmy James and the Blue Flames, uh, and it was from there that he was discovered by Chas Chandler, who shipped him off to England without the band for him to start the experience. And 12 months later, he was back at Monterey and back to be become the biggest star in the world, and he stayed friends. He went back to the same Greenwich Village places, and I used to jam with him all the time. I used to get to hang out with him. I mean, Jimmy and I were close. We were friends, and his influence on me was incredible. And, and this, was, this was about three years before I met Todd Rundgren, at age 19, I think, at that time. And so I, I was just blessed early in my career you get to hang out and play with some real legends. Write my memoirs, and I'm going to do it soon because uh, there's just a lot of information there I want to get out about yeah. about the history of the business, and not just Todd. You know, and Todd was great, but a lot. I, I just got to mix it up with a lot of legends. Like uh, years before I played with Todd, I was in Jimmy Hendrix's band when I was 16. I was hanging and playing with James Taylor when I was 17. You know, when he was in the Flying Machine. You know, I mean, it's just an incredible history that I I got to be the six degrees of separation from. You know, like I was just always was able to to wheedle my way in because I was an obnoxious young kid, <laughs> and I didn't realize that there were all these barriers, and you weren't supposed to walk up to Stevie Wonder and say, uh, can I come to a recording session? And he would say yes. And I got to go to a lot of Stevie Wonder recording sessions and hang out with him. 
You know, it was just I, I, I was too young and naive to know better than to approach all these people. And, and I did, and, and I got a tremendous musical education. And in some instances, I got to uh, play and record and be part of the bands with him. I'm just a lucky guy. Another popular topic always with Moogie Klingman is Secret Sound, which was where Moogie lived for a while and also had a studio, which he and Todd Rundgren put together. So here's Moogie telling us a little bit about how he got Secret Sound, why he got Secret Sound, what happened at Secret Sound, and some great stories. Here goes. Me, it was my apartment. It was a loft right. before um, it became Secret Sound. And um, Moogie and the Rhythm Kings had uh, just finished, or was in the midst of touring for my first album, uh, Moogie, Mark Moogie Klingman, and... Uh, we needed a place to rehearse because I was living in an apartment in the West Village at the time, around 1973, probably, 72, 72 maybe, 73. I'm, I'm sure the dates are, are in, one of the, in the Rundgren book. Or, uh, uh, but <clears throat> what happened was I found a loft on 24th Street in Manhattan, and that loft um, was for rent. 2,000 square feet for, how much was it, $250 a month, and it had a rehearsal studio built into it. So it was a full-floor loft with a rehearsal studio built in. Half of it, you'd come up the elevator, and the front half would be the rehearsal studio with the control room. The guy had actually put a glass in the control room, even though there was no recording equipment, and he, in the rehearsal room, he had put up baffling, and it looked pretty nice. So what he wanted in what we call key money was $1,250. So I, I gave him the 1250 and I had this beautiful rehearsal studio. And uh, the back half, I converted it. It was already a living space, but I brought in a lot of uh, kitchen equipment. I built walls, and then I had my loft and my rehearsal space. And we're getting the Rhythm Kings. We just rehearsed here all the time, and it was uh, Ralph Shuckett, John Siegler, myself, and a great, great drummer, the late, great John Siomis, who was the drummer on uh, much of Something Anything, the drummer on Something Anything's Dustin the Wind. He was the drummer on Hello, It's Me, the, the, the record that uh, really launched Todd in a big way. Moogie mm-hmm. and the Rhythm Kings on Capitol Records. Uh, it was just a tough all beginning to end. We were an unknown band. And, um, you know, so we, I got an independent manager, and we did a lot of basically crummy gigs, and Capitol didn't really do much to help us out, and it was okay. You know, we moved on. Uh, the second album, I was uh, there was a guy named Herm Belkin, a music executive at Capitol Records, and he uh, he believed in Woogie, and he, he gave me a $10,000 check which went to the building of Secret Sound. And to uh, Secret Sound, Todd was putting in his money, I put in mine, we both Secret Sound, thanks to Capitol Records. And then as I began to record the, the Moogie 2 album, Herb Belkin got fired from Capitol and I got dropped. So that was the end of Capitol Records. Because once they fire your executives, if you haven't made it yet, you know, basically <laughs> yeah. it's over. And that's what happened in Capitol. 
Stephen wanted to know about your experience of recording those classic records in secret sound and said that your bedroom was just down the hall. Yeah, well, half the loft was my rehearsal studio and the other half was where I lived. And then Todd came along with it and said he, he wanted to turn my rehearsal studio into secret sound, a place where he could record all his records secretly and, and I could use the studio and we'd be partners. I said, great. I, he got a lot of stuff. I did chip in some money and was in my partially built studio. And we just worked really hard and we recorded. And he, he did a lot of wiring. Like at the height of his success, instead of touring, he was wiring up his own studio there. Uh, and then the first album was Wizard of True Star, which he did with my band. Second album was Moogie 2, which you can still get it. Uh, uh, my website, which was my second album for Capital, which ended up coming out on EMI in Europe instead. Um, he was the engineer. He would turn on the tape machines. He'd run in the studio and play with the band. There'd be nobody watching the levels. That's how he wanted to do it. <laughs> he just wanted to do it all himself, you know. So, so sometimes things got kind of uh, overly saturated on tape, but. If you listen to it, it's a pretty wild sound. There's some of the stuff on Wizard of Two Star. War Babies was up there. Uh, so I was had hauling oats in my loft for like two months. And they hadn't had any real hits. They had uh, She's Gone, but they were still a, basically an un, unknown act at that time when Todd was recording. They just, I mean, they had some success, but they weren't this gigantic, huge act that they became. So... I knew them and was hanging out with them. And, and, and even they did a concert with us. I got tapes of it somewhere of um, and Todd's birthday at Central Park. They came out and I played piano and Todd sang Dust in the Wind and the background vocals were holding notes, which was nice to have on my song, to have Daryl and John singing back up. Do you have it. this on video or, or a tape audio? Audio, but really bad, but I'm going to put it out there anyway so people can hear it. Yeah. Now those uh, was this part of the annual Central Park New York show? Yeah, it was the annual Central Park show, and it was he started it by doing Dust in the Wind on uh, like four or five songs on the piano, but then he brought out uh, Hall and Oates for Dust in the Wind and the uh, Motown medley, you know, which is on A Wizard of True Star, and um, Bette Midler did her first her, her album with me at Secret Sound. Bob Dylan came in and recorded on that. Uh, uh, New York Dolls did some sessions there with Con. Uh, the uh, Grand Funk Railroad they mixed were an American band did all the overdubs there on that that record so there was a lot of classic records done and I got to entertain a lot of big rock stars or up and comers the, the best the best time was when Bob Dylan came over to record the duet with Bet he kind of came over we didn't really expect him so no one was there. And he came over, it was just me and him, and he was hanging out at my house, and I was, like, trying to entertain him while calling everyone to come to the studio for a recording session. So I got to do a lot of hanging out with Dylan uh, over the course of a couple of days around those sessions with Ben. That was fun. And And Todd was out of town or in Europe, and when he got back, and, George, I'm, I'm on the radio doing an, an interview. I can't <laughs> talk right now. It's my son. All right. Well, you want to you want me me to read you the stuff to bed or something? Oh, you want the uh, too late, too late, sir. Okay, it's too late. Um, my son wants Spider-Man's right here. 
Yeah. Just give it to okay, we, I I gotta work, George. I'm on the phone. Okay, go take it to your mother <laughs> and and she'll and she'll deal with it. That's George, the one uh, like Adrian was talking about. Hey man, if you need to run, just let us know. No, that's okay. Uh right, so uh what I was talking about uh what was I just talking about? Dylan's Yep, hanging out with him. Yeah, oh yeah, when Todd got back, like Todd was a very blase guy, like nothing affected him. Like when he went to work with the George Harrison uh, and took over the production of Badfinger, he had like, oh, George Harrison was just a guy that dropped out of the production and Todd resented that. He had nothing good to say about Harrison or the Beatles or anyone he worked with he didn't really, or anyone he met. They were just people that, you know, he just, he wasn't impressed with them. Whether he met the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or like Zeppelin or, you know, James Taylor. I took him backstage for a James Taylor concert and, uh, he just wasn't here. Anyway, so, uh, he comes back from Europe or somewhere and I had just been producing Bob Dylan with Bette Midler and he went totally nuts. He went, look, I had to work with Bob Dylan. What was he like? What was that like? Blah, blah, blah. Like, he completely flipped out over me working with Dylan. Like, for him, it was, I didn't know that he was into Dylan at all, you know, like this was before he had done that album where he did a Dylan song, you know, so, uh, Found somebody using he just went nuts that like, I had gotten to produce Bob Dylan and, and work with him, and, like, he had, he had only met him once, and Dylan just, like, in passing in Woodstock, even though they were both managed by the same guy, Albert Grossman, so the funniest thing about that Dylan thing at our studio was, was how, how nuts Todd went. Like how he, he was like a big fan. What's he like? What was it like to work with him? Why, how'd you do it? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> he still hasn't got to work with Dylan since. All right, there you have it. Moogie Klingman and Secret Sound. Definitely a huge part of musical history. A big part of Moogie's life, as we talked about at the start of the show. The biggest thing being the reunion in January at the Highline Ballroom, the 29th and 30th of January of 2011. Oogie got back together with the band. These are going to be some clips for you about that reunion and about the band, and we'll be back to discuss some more Moogie Klingman following these clips. I played with Todd from like 68 to 75 maybe, and then we grouped in 78 with him. And then that was it, you know, that was the end of the Todd Moogie days. Right. But they were golden. Look, the Beatles only had about eight years to and Kevin Elman was playing with me for a little while in the fleet parade. I got him back into the drums in around two thousand, two thousand one, two thousand two. But then I, I lost touch with him again, he stopped playing with me. He has a day job as a financial advisor to the rich and he was doing a bi weekly ten minute financial spot on uh, CNBC lunch hour Wednesdays. I don't know if he still does it, you know. So he, he was always uh, very into, like, a lot of financial day job things. Ralph Shuckett works in L.A. doing some movie soundtrack stuff. John Siegler uh, became very rich doing Pokemon, being the music producer of all the Pokemon music. Wow. You know? So, uh, and of course, he doesn't return my calls. It's kind of unfortunate because <laughs> I got him all his early gigs. But yeah. he did tell me he is swimming in the money being the big publishing head of all the Pokemon music, you know. Yeah. 
neither him or Ralph have played out anywhere in 15, 20 years. And they don't really seem to have the desire to do it either. And I spoke to John about coming down to play with me. He, he had a pretty amazing and meteoric rise to the top of the music business uh, in the 1970s, and we lost a great drummer. But in the process, we got another drummer, Kevin Elman, who was playing with me, uh, Todd, and uh, me, Ralph, and John in various situations. And he had been playing with Bette Midler and Buzzy Linhart, and he was the drummer we chose to bring to Todd, who chose to add him to the original Utopia. Now, I say this because Kevin Elmer just came down to my gig two nights ago in New York City and did a set with me. Like, Kevin oh. Elman still plays. He's still looking good. He's sounding great. And we, we had a ball at the P&G bar on the Upper West Side. They had two members of the original Utopia. It was a lot of fun playing with So um, you're going to have a, a total of eight people on that stage. Uh, the, the five original Utopians, uh, Chasm Sultan, and then on background vocals, uh, along with the rest of us, Curtis King and Daryl Tooks, who are who are just phenomenal, phenomenal uh, singers and blenders. Yeah, and uh, we got John Sigler with us, and he told me earlier that those guys already know this music because they love Utopia so much. Is that right, John? That's right. Hey guys, what's up? Hey John, how are you doing? Hey. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, Daryl and Curtis, uh, we've known them for years, and uh, they are definitely uh, were uh, longtime Utopia fans, and they're awesome singers. They're really great. I, I work with, particularly with Curtis, really a lot over the years, and uh, the guy is great. I mean, they're both great. So it'll be fun. It'll be good. Everything will sound really good. <laughs> We, we yeah. I told them that um, also we've added Chasm Sultan, not just as a guest. Right, Chaz is doing it, yep. A full time up there with us. He's going to do all the early Utopia stuff with us, help us improve the sound. So now we're going to be an eight piece ensemble up there. Eight, four, seven. Let me hear it. Come on now, you waited, Chicago person. Is that me? That's you. Hey, Doc, how are you? Hi, Mel. Hey. Hi. Hi, Moogie. This is Susie from Chicago. Hey. How are you? Susie, hi. I came to the show. It was awesome. Just what everybody is saying, it just blew me away. The energy, the way it was all put together. I mean, it was a beautiful thing. Thank you so much. I'm so glad you were there. Here's a question a I have. Me. I have a question for you. What did your son think about all this? Because he's probably used to you just being dad, and then he got to see you being the rock god. So what did he think of all this? Well, well, this is interesting that you should ask. My son is about to be 10 years old on St. Patrick's Day. And uh, okay. getting him to be into music has been a struggle. He just hasn't been that interested. Occasionally he, 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 he gets an interest in music. But then he, he moves away from it back to video games or something. Uh, what happened after the concert, which he, which he attended, and, and he got to see the fans after the show, he posed for pictures with me, 
for a lot of the fans, and he got to see the adulation, and he got to hear fans screaming, moogie, moogie, moogie. Mm-hmm. Um, an amazing thing happened. An incredible thing happened. He sat down at the grand piano in my house, and he started playing it. I swear to God. He started playing it. He opened up my beginner book, which I used to teach students, and he looked up, and he started figuring it out, and he's now playing the first six pages of the beginner book by himself. I haven't really been around much uh, since he got into piano um, in in the last week. And now he's just playing all the time, and he wants to be a piano player now. So this is is what happened to my son from coming to the concert, is that he's now playing the piano. He sounds great. Um, Dust in the Wind, uh, because it's a very special song for me. Um, and I would like to hear a little bit more about how uh, you know you came upon this idea or came upon the song when you wrote it and that that sort of thing. And I'll hang up and listen. Thanks. Okay. Well, thank you, Ian. Thank you. Your comments are very succinct and and, and right on, and, and and I appreciate the phone call. Um, Dust in the Wind. It's one of my earliest songs, as is You Gotta Have Friends, the song I wrote that became that Midwest theme song. But Dust, I wrote very early on. And, and, you know, the the really strange thing, it's a song about a a guy who's on his deathbed and who's dying and who's remembering his life. And and, and he's just just stating, like, these views of it. and, And he's not a winner. He hasn't really won, you know, in life. He, he's just been another guy out there struggling, and, and when he says, I know my ship won't be coming in, you know, like, people always need hope. And here's a guy on his deathbed, and he doesn't seem to have the hope. I have lied, I have big, I have cheated, and I know my ship won't be coming in. As I lay me down to take my rest, I see that it's just destined to win. You know, I'm not even sure today what it really means. What what the meaning of this course or the meaning of, of this song? I know that it's about a person dying, and I wrote it without having anybody in my life who would die who was close to me—not a friend, not a relative. It was kind of written more as as as, a, as an exercise in coming up with a plot for a song and then following it through. Where uh, most or in many instances, people write personal songs. Well, this song has become incredibly personal to me because I am in the situation of, of the person uh, who the song is about, you know. Uh, tell everyone I am sorry, truly sorry for all the wrongs I've done. I never mer- meant to hurt nobody. I never meant to do no harm. Um, gosh, those lyrics are extremely meaningful to me. The song has incredible meaning now, and the song seems to have gone on with a life of its own. When Todd Rundgren heard it, uh, and he was doing something, anything. This is an album where the songs just flowed out of him. Like, he, he would write the new songs and play them for me. And I said, Todd, like, how are you writing so many songs? And, and we quite said, Mort, I just can't stop. They're flowing out of me. I can't stop this creative deluge, this flood of material that came out of him for that album. And in the midst of it, he said, I really like your song, Dust in the Wind, and I want to record it. 
And he did. He just really liked the song. And, and the first song on a Todd Rundgren solo album that wasn't written by Todd Rundgren was a Boogie Klingman song on, on, on his probably most successful record, Something Anything. It was just amazing that he did it. And the song continues to have a life of its own. Right now, if you go to YouTube, Guns N' Roses were doing the song uh, live on one of the tours for a while, and uh, there's a million hits, over a million hits. Guns N' Roses doing Just in the Wind, Axl Rose at the keyboards, singing lead, playing piano, uh, with Flash on the guitar. It's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, and it's got over a million hits. It, I was hoping it was going to be on Chinese Democracy, but it wasn't. Maybe it'll be on the next album. There's also all these smaller bands on, on YouTube singing Dust in the Wind. Singers doing Dust in the Wind. It's just amazing. The song has definitely got this new second life. And and Todd singing it around with me singing it now, it just has special meaning for me because uh, it is. Maybe when I was a young man, when I was 19, when I wrote that song, one of my first Wow. Uh, Maybe I knew one day I would be singing it about myself, which is what I'm doing right now when I do that song live. We'd like to turn the stage and the airwaves over to Mr. Moogie Klingman. Thank you. Hi. Yes, um, I'd like to tell a little, a little story about uh, ten years ago I became enamored with songwriting. And I began to write little ditties, and I wasn't having much success in the business, and a friend of mine at the time was in a rock group and recording all his own stuff. He became a solo artist and continued to record all his own compositions while trying to give me inspiration as a writer. Well, that inspiration finally came to pass when, for the first outside tune he ever recorded, he chose uh, a song of mine. So I'd like to sing that song for you tonight. Uh, the album you recorded it on is Something Anything. And the song is Dust in the Wind. Now, you people on, out there in Radio Land, it isn't Todd with a cold. It's the writer himself singing his own composition. Well, I have lied 
as I lay me down to take my rest, I see that it's just dust in the wind. There's some great stuff about Utopia, very important part of Moogie's life. Unfortunately, in Moogie's life, he got the dreaded disease known as cancer, the big C. Cancer has affected all of us in some form or fashion. Everybody knows somebody close to them or somebody that they know that has been afflicted with this terrible disease. When Moogie announced this uh, and told the fans about it on Rungan Radio, uh, it was very sad for all of us, um, and we thought at the time that he may have about six months. But post that announcement, Moogie was still with us for a year and got to do those two shows. And part of that comes from, in his mind, and I think all of ours, the power of music and healing people and it gave Moogie strength clearly and it prolonged his life and made his life better while he was still with us and we'll let him tell you about that we have several clips about that topic from Moogie when he was on the show in the last 12 months do you have any plans at all to take Moogie and the Rhythm Kings on the road I don't think I have the time to take my game Rhythm Kings. The Lord, the one known as God, has limited my time. Um, and I don't know how much time I have left, really. Um, according to my doctors, um, I don't have much time. So, 
just coming back together, uh, Morgan and the Rhythm Kings or these guys from Utopia. It's it's a one time thing. It's to help me raise money for a medical uh benefit, um, to, to seek out alternative cures for cancer. Okay. Well, I'm so sorry to hear this news. Um you're actually you're going to, to investigate some alternative uh treatments. Um do you have any idea like what kind? Uh a lot of it is with diet and, and eating organic and uh juicing. There's a, a place called the uh uh the op the ultimate uh, health center, the opta uh, uh some type of health center in California where you could go for a few weeks and they try to uh, clean you out on this diet. Um, I'm getting all the major uh, medical cures or whatever they could do at this stage, which is a late stage, and um, doing chemo and and some other things to try to beat back the cancer. But um, they're giving me a very short lifeline. And uh, these concerts... With the with the peaceniks that I'm doing and uh, this 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 benefit with some old friends and some new ones like Peter Yao, these are really uh, the best thing for me for my system. They just give me a jolt of of strength and uh, excitement and and like we did a two hour show on Saturday night and I just come out of the hospital. I've been having <clears throat> to go in for various surgeries. Right, and right. Um, it's tough. You know it really I mean? is. I tell you what, the 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 messages that are coming up on the chat room are are very sweet towards you. Sorry to hear this. Major suck. <laughs> um, uh, hang tough, and things like that. Um, uh, I I don't Write know what to else. me at, at Mookie King M O O T Y K I N G at AOL.com. You can go to Facebook, find me on Facebook. Uh, you can go to my website if you're interested. You can buy some of my CDs. Uh, all the funds there will go towards uh, trying to uh, keep me alive with some alternative medical uh, benefits. You know, uh, Major uh, insurance doesn't cover these alternatives. They cover just uh, operations, chemo, radiation, and... Uh, People feel there are other cures because I'm not uh, getting a cure. I'm getting uh, basically a death sentence with um, going through uh, chemo and radiation, whatever. They're just trying to extend my life right now. Where through uh, certain uh, organic uh, vegetable diets, they're guaranteeing you a complete cure, that all the cancer will melt away. Look, I'm not saying it's going to work. But I'm willing to try anything at this point with the, the little time I have left. Um, yeah, well, you know, the power of positive thinking, sometimes it, it really is magical. I know, and, and the, the ability of doctors to give, give out death sentences to people with cancer and tell them how long they have to live. Uh, they told my mother she had six months to live with cancer. I moved in with her and took care of her. She lasted seven years. Wow. So... Um, I'm looking to stretch it out as long as I can, uh, but uh, it seems that um, I didn't move fast enough and get it diagnosed right soon enough, and now it's in a, a later stage. And uh, I'm, I'm just thankful uh, to still, you know, to for every day 
uh, take each day as they come. And um, I might be going up to that big icon in the sky. I might be the first utopian. I think with the various utopia contingents that uh, I might be the first to leave this planet and go to the next planet, whatever that might be, whether it's the icon in the sky or a place down below that's so hot, I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to see what happens. Um, I've just been very grateful that I can play music all these years. Right. I mean, that's that's great. I mean, didn't you say you guys just played for like a couple of hours just the other night? So We're doing these concerts. Uh, we got three concerts coming up. I figured as long as I have concerts booked, uh, I won't be able to uh, get any sicker because I'll just have to keep playing these concerts. Um, <laughs> yeah, get it one. on the books. There you go. Yeah, and, and of course, music can be healing. Yeah, I'm sure you know. Uh, right, music, music is a healer. It's tremendously yeah. healing. And when but, I get uh, to play with but, a band, or uh, it's just it, it, it's a it's it's a healer. You know, like people who are into music, they're getting healed all the time because there's nothing really like music. You know, as I, I sit w- with this disease and I try to psychologically beat it back. If I watch a movie or the news, oh, my God, is that depressing. Uh, but any time you could get to listen to some really good music, it just calms your whole body. Or better yet, if you're a musician like I am, then you get to exactly. play it. So, yeah, you know, and if it's not too personal, you know, people are interested to know, you know, what kind you've had. Or is it inoperable now? I mean, what's the uh, what's the status of your prognosis on your situation? Uh, well, it's it's through my body, they say. It started out as bladder cancer, but it moved down to other parts of my body, uh, into my to other areas. And now they say it's throughout the body. They're trying to shrink it with, with chemo, and they're not having a, a great deal of success. And uh, um, it's too late for surgical procedures. So uh, they might going to try some radiation uh, on some parts, but... Uh, I feel good most of the time. I do have certain aches and pains that I'm fighting. Um, but I'm still functioning, and um, it's very surrealistic to be given uh, these kind of sentences by the doctors at, at the major cancer facilities, which yeah. is they're telling you uh, how long you have. Um, um, it's sad. And mm-hmm. um, I have decided to go public with it because... Um, my time appears to be short. Uh, I want to celebrate my life with people. That's why the January 16th concert is a celebration. Let me say goodbye to the fans and the friends, and let me thank uh, Ralph Shuckett, John Siegler, Kevin Elman. Kazim Sultan, and especially the Master Blaster, Todd Rundgren, for coming together for me with this reunion. I appreciate it, and, and my heart warms with, with the fact they're doing this for me. And as it turns out, it, it just seems like it, it's making them as happy as Punch. They just all want to do it. And the fact they all play so well. Like, I know how great Todd sounds. I, I've gone out to see him recently and rehearsing with uh, John Siegler, who is just the master of the bass. He just sounds better than ever. And Kevin, I know he's the financial wizard there. He's got his, <laughs> his own company. He's CEO of Unfinancial Advice. 
he's still playing the drums, and the man sounds sounds great. It's gonna it's gonna awesome. be a great night. I'm sure it is. We're looking very much forward to it. I'm glad everything pulled together for you. All right, pal. Mogi, there's several people in the chat room that are being vocal, if I can say that, <laughs> in a in the uh, chat room, and they're all saying how much they love you and they're looking forward to seeing you. Well, that gives me strength. I, I feel the love, and it heals me. It warms me. And, and I feel strength returning to my body. And, and I don't know how long I have left, but <clears throat> something like the reunion of Utopia is just beyond my wildest dreams, and, I, and I'm just very happy that we're going to be there for you folks. Moogie here is talking to Julie Feldman from Florida, another long-time Todd fan, Utopia fan. Wow. You, just, you say it eloquently, and, and the emotion you put into it, I'm, I'm, I'm floored. I'm floored by all this. It, it, I'm just hearing it from everyone tonight, and it's just amazing, you know, that... The love that came together with these beings, really, you know, it reminds me of a 60s being where everyone's feeling the love. And I'm so happy to work in alternative medicine. I believe in it. Uh, I believe that I'm gonna, I can beat this thing back. And if I can't, if I can't believe it back, then I'm going to tell you folks that I'm going to die happy because this has brought me incredible happiness. That I can make this thing happen, that we can make this thing happen, and it has happened at this point. It's just, you know, it's just a fulfillment of a dream, and that everyone is still out there. There's so many people out there that remember me and remember Utopia, uh, and that came out, and it's, it's just incredibly moving. So whatever happens, this is the just one victory that we've heard sung about this victory that we had at this concert making it happen uh, it's just it's just incredible hold that line baby hold that line get up boys and give it one more try we may be losing now but we can't stop trying to hold that line give me just one victory and we're on our way well this is that victory and, and whatever happens to me now this this the these concerts, these moments uh, are just going to bring me happiness wherever I end up, if I end up on this planet Earth or in the utopia beyond. On the last show that we had with Moogie, it was October 25th, 2011. He picked that date. We wanted to have at least one show with him before the uh, second reunion tour of Utopia Mark II. And we had a little fun on the show. Uh, Cruiser Mail was out. She was taking a cruise, so it was just me and Moogie. And we were joined by one other when his son George uh, got on the phone with me for a minute. So here's a clip from that. Wow. Yeah. Do you want to talk to my son? He, he's right by my side. Sure. Do you want to see the uh, Florida run tonight? Hello. Georgie, what's happening? Eh, nothing really. Keep talking. No? Are yeah, you, I just uh, got home. You on the yeah. Yeah. Where you been? Yeah, I just... Oh, I was at a special group for a kid whose parents have cancer. Yeah? How'd it go? Yeah. It's yeah. pretty good. It's fun. Do you, you do fun that activities. once a week? 
Yeah. You get to do that what uh, once a week or all the time? Yeah, once a week, every Tuesday. Once a week. Six eight. Wow. Do you have a, a lot of friends in that group that you knew before you went, or did you just all new friends? Uh, no, just new friends. All new people. All right. Very nice. It started last year in November. Wow. It's been a year then, exactly coming up next month. Crazy. Yeah. We had a few callers, of course, on that 10-25-11 show with Moogie Klingman. These are the final words that we had with Moogie Klingman on Rungren Radio. This was the last call. Our friend Kathy Lee B. Branstetter, CLB, from Chicago, was on the line with Moogie as well and myself. Here goes Moogie's final words with us on the show. Love you guys and love you gals. Night. There you go. All right, Moogie, thanks again. I'm here now. You here? Yes, sir. We'll <laughs> see you soon in New Yorker. Sounds good. Okay, my friend. I will Peace see out. you soon. All right. Bye-bye. This is from an interview Fernando Perdomo did that uh, ended up being used for an article in Keyboard Magazine. I am healed. Even if I die, I'm healed. This is healed. It might nece- not necessarily cure me, but it has healed.
Everybody, that's our segment of Moogie Clips. For some reason, I thought that was going to be over two hours. It is not. So we have plenty of time for callers. I know we had a lot of people that wanted to say something about Moogie, uh, maybe their favorite memory or story, or just wish him well. So we'll start taking calls. So let's start with 386. Hello. Hello. Yeah, Hi. Doug, Mel, Keith here in Florida. Hey, Keith. Hi. Hey, how are you? Well, I'm a little sad right now. <laughs> uh, no, a lot of sad. Um, I, I was uh, going to send uh, Doug a uh, copy of an interview that I have on cassette, if anyone remembers cassette back in the day. Uh, I was fortunate being a fan of Todd's and Utopia and Moogie's music going back to 1973 that uh, Wendy Kaufman and I, while we were still in high school, uh, were conniving enough. And now that Moogie's not with us, we can tell the story because it's kind of a little uh, dirty. Uh, We called Bearsville Records and uh, convinced them that we were college students that were doing a interview for a newspaper, and we wanted to get an interview with the keyboard player, this guy Moogie from Todd's Band, and we were fortunate enough to get that interview with Moogie, and it, it happened to be at the Secret Sound studio, and... Uh, we got to meet Moogie, and he was one of the most personable, beautiful people that either one of us had ever met. And the stories that he's told on your show, as well as he told to us, were were very similar. And uh, one of the things that I, I, I still have a great remembrance of when we sat and did this interview was we asked him what one of what was his early influ, influence in playing piano was, and he told us that he had seen a movie called Rhapsody in Blue, that the music was done by George Gershwin, and at that point he had turned around and he pointed to a framed check that was signed by George and Ira Gershwin. And his enthusiasm about his love of that was like any of myself and any of the other 
pod fans that listen to and follow you guys have for having a Todd autograph, his his enjoyment uh, and, and his pride of having a signed you know a signed check from the Gershwin brothers exuded his love, and he said that's why I decided to play piano, and that was when he was 12 years old, and. I I had that, and and I was going to put the, like I told you, Doug, in for airplay, but the quality is on a cassette from a, if anyone remembers the old school uh, box cassette recorders back in the mid-70s with the plug-in microphone, and I will send that to you, and if you can... Find a way to improve the sound quality from what I have. You're more than welcome to play that on the air. The volume is kind of not up to snuff, but he does tell wonderful stories of growing up in uh, Great Neck, and uh, I, I was was one of the very probably very few people that got a tour of the Secret Sound studio of Moogie's apartment slash recording studio back in the day. And thank God I didn't do enough drugs back in the 70s that I still remember, as if it were yesterday, that interview and that tour and and sitting and talking with the man that was a phenomenal musician an integral part of the Utopia band. And I thank God that I was forced to see not the one show in New York I had a ticket for, but I wasn't planning on staying for the Sunday show with Moogie. And my friends, Alan Peters said, no, you're staying overnight. You're seeing the second show. I thank God that, that I did see that because who would know that those would be the last two shows he would ever play with Todd again? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, you know, fate, fate is a weird thing. You know, things happen for a reason. And I I was there and I, I saw the original Utopia uh, three times. Uh, Carnegie Hall, Radio City, and uh, Central Park, and to think I would see them again 35 years later, but on a sad occasion that it was Moogie's failing health, I I thank God that I did see those two shows. Uh, I saw the Utopia show in Jacksonville without Moogie. It was great. But it, it it wasn't the same. And yeah. all week all week this week at work, people have been saying, You're just not the same. I'm like Nah. Life life isn't the same. I I hate to say that life goes on, but man, when you lose somebody that you had a connection to that goes back close to forty years, it. It brings a reality that I was 16, 15 back then. I'm 53 now, and damn, I'm even getting old. 
you got to appreciate every day and, and and appreciate the memories and all these wonderful times that we have with these friends and family. And, and I'll, I'll give kudos to you, Doug and Mel, of what you've done for the Utopia family and the Todd family over the past few years of these shows and bringing old friends together, new friends together. Just you got to live life, enjoy it, and appreciate it because when I'm hearing all these clips of Moogie, it, it, it seems like yesterday we heard the interviews and it's like he's gone. It's just life isn't fair. It, no, nope. it, yeah, and it really it's um great that we have permanent archives of these shows he was on. He really loved to tell stories. He was a great storyteller, and yeah. of course, some of them he told on each show, so we were able to you know summarize it for you to, to, to the, the good stuff. But um, he just you know he wanted to be remembered, and that's what we're doing for him tonight, and and we'll always do. Of course, it, we won't be forgotten by any means. But let me tell you a good story about that Gershwin check. I was as I was listening to some of the shows. Um, another interesting fact about it is there was a canceled check that Moogie got, and he had, like you said, he had it framed up on his wall. Eventually, at some point, he took a look at it to see where George lived, and it turns out they lived, or he lived at one point um, where Moogie was living at the time. So, like down the hall. So they basically uh, almost lived as neighbors, and he didn't realize it for a long time until one day he looked at the address on that check. I mean, what a small world. Very idols, cool. you know, in the same place, almost at the yep. same. Yep. Very well, cool. And, and the man left behind some really, really beautiful music. Um, yep. It's very distinctly his. You can you can tell what is his music, and um, uh, I know I. I have a great appreciation for his songwriting, and I, I, I'm thrilled that I remember distinctly telling him at one point that he could write the hell out of a song, and, and I'm I'm glad I did say that now because he really could. All right. You guys have a good night. Have a happy, healthy Thanksgiving. God bless you both, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Back at right. you. Thanks, man. Bye, Keith. Uh, bye. Wendy Kaufman, I know she got to see um, some of the New York shows. Oh yeah, good. Very cool. And of course, she saw the Highline Ballroom as well. Her and her uh, Steve. So, um, if you don't know Wendy, she was the Snapple lady that was behind the desk in the Snapple commercials from years ago. How about That's that? That's right. Yeah. All right, we got another caller from Erico two six seven. You're with us. Hi, Doug and Mel. It's Marcia from Pennsylvania. How are you? Hey, Marcia. Hey. Um, I just wanted to tell you the show was great. I couldn't seem to blog and tell you how great it was and how many times I cried, but my reason for calling was basically to tell you that and to tell you that when um, Dawn and I were at Bordentown, New Jersey, we saw Moogie and the Peaceniks, and it started out with Moogie and John and Kevin playing. It was fabulous, and I had this necklace that had an M on it, and I gave it to Moogie. It was just quite touching. He was very very sweet and very very nice fella. 
And again, the show is just fabulous, and I'm getting all choked up. <laughs> what was it you gave him? A necklace that I had. Somebody had yeah. made it for me that had the initial M on it. And I put it around his neck, and, like, he just, like, hugged me so tight and just was, he was just so happy that people were there enjoying him, you know? Mm-hmm. It was amazing. And his eyes, I can, I can see his eyes. He lit up when everybody was, like, watching him and listening to him and egging him on. It was great. Yeah, no doubt about it. He wa- he wanted to be remembered and uh, wanted his music to be heard. And he got that opportunity with a bunch of us. Uh, yeah. Question. And some people I know have been going to his shows at the Triad for years and, and the different places he was playing. But uh, right. it really got elevated, of course, with the Utopia reunion in January. Oh, and that was a, so fabulous. Yeah, what a great situation for him. I mean, it just could yeah. be a better, um, you know, a better situation for him and, and his final year with us. I mean, it's just, uh, it's probably everything he dreamed of and more, you know. And he, that's even what he said. What a great, great situation. Absolutely. I'll just tell you one thing, too. Um, My mom passed away in January, and it was a very small service, and a cousin of mine said, I want to play some special music for her. And I said, well, I know the perfect song for her. And I told him, Dust in the Wind. And he had never heard it, and he went online, and he got it off of the, you know, YouTube, and he did the song. He just with acoustic guitar. It was amazing and that too wow. was my little tribute to Moody. It was very special. I'm getting choked up again. <laughs> but anyway, um thanks again. The show was great and God I just appreciate everything you two have done. I have had the most fun in my life in the past couple of years being associated with you two and all the people who are on this involved with Rundgren Radio. It's just been great. Been a lot of fun to and question, it, and there's always more. Good. <laughs> and also, oh, I, I just, in, in honor of the Utopia shows, I had a tattoo on my, I had an anklet put on my tattooed with the eye from the icon. <laughs> I saw a photo of one. Like that was hell. <laughs> <Huh>? <laughs> It hurts like hell, but it's really cool. <laughs> Where'd you get, where did you put the uh, tattoo? Um, it's an anklet. Oh, okay, gotcha. It was my yeah, 60th so. birthday present to myself, too. Ouch. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I saw a photo of that from um, maybe the Upper Darby gig photos? Lois yeah, Lois took a picture of it. <laughs> it hurt that night, let me tell you. But anyway, I, I sincerely love being involved with everybody, and it's just been a joy for me. Well, everybody loves you and Don. Y'all are like, uh, y'all don't separate. You're almost like Siamese twins. I know, isn't it ridiculous? <laughs> but we it's just love it. Always get faces out all the shows, uh, Chasm shows, Todd shows. Right, always we try. <laughs> we support. We support those who we love. <laughs> we sure do. Very nice. Oh, all right. Well, okay. Well, you take care. I'll be talking to you. All right. Happy Thanksgiving to you. Alrighty. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. You too, Keith. I don't know if we got to which you want or not. All right, we got another call. This is seven two seven, which I believe is Tampa area, probably Tommy Z. Let's see if I'm correct. Hmm. Seven two seven, you're with us. Hey, Doug, it's Tommy Zvancheck giving you a call. 
Hey, man, what's going on? Uh, I listened to most of the show, but I had to walk away a few times. This really hit me in a, in a deep spot. Uh, I made a list of some things I wanted to mention here. Uh, did you play the part where uh, Moogie thanked you for reconnecting him with Todd? No, no. I'm I didn't think you would, but I think it needs to be said. He, Moogie totally felt that you enabled him to reconnect with Todd, which, as we know, led to the Highline show. Uh, so a round of applause for you for you know doing all that you could for Moogie at the end there. I know that meant so much to him, and it, and it resulted in meaning so much to all of us, you know, and, and that it's a you good story. It, it, the um, and, and the New York Times and us people are saying that they got it wrong. They're saying that Todd summoned Moogie for this reunion or whatever. But um, and Moogie talked about it in detail. I mean, basically, he was at the Iridium show that Todd did, and after the show was over, um, he went backstage with the folks he was with, and Todd greeted him. Uh, much to his surprise, Todd was just very gracious and nice to him, and they talked about this, and then, you know, the rest is history. They end up getting it done. And that's a lot of the same thing happened, I believe, uh, when Todd did the B.B. King's Best Of show. Moogie went to that, and I think that kind of, um, you know, spurred this this second reunion tour. So it's a, it's a really good story, and it was definitely Moogie, um, you know, got the ball rolling on that, and that was his dream. I mean, we had him talking about it, you know, on the first show he was ever on in 2007 about how important it was and how much he wanted to get that band back together. So it's just a great thing that it happened. Yeah. I mean, so, some people in the community may not know, Moogie and I played together in 2005 for about eight months. I had a band, and we would back him up. And we play, and it, it, some some of the people here may know. I posted uh, like there's a version of him doing "Dust in the Wind" live, and uh, there's a version of yeah, Utopia. We played that up when you when you had to walk away. We actually played that. Um, it's a great version. Uh, I, I heard Radio one. Land. Yeah. I heard one that was sounded just like Moogie on piano. Yeah, mm-hmm. this, uh, was this was uh, the version I posted is a full band version. Oh, wow. two keyboard players, Moogie playing piano, guitar, bass, drums, and it came out really well. I and mean, it's kind of a funny story. We rehearsed like two hours the day before and just played it down. But anyway, I just wanted to, you know, put it out there. You know, send some good vibes towards you as far as enabling, you know, Moogie to reconnect with Todd because. That was always a sore subject for me. I'm not going to get into anything about it, but I know Moogie was bothered, you know, and I thought when I went backstage at Highline and I saw Moogie and Todd together, it, it, I had a feeling of, like, things were right. Like, the way they were talking to each other, you could imagine it was 30 years ago. They're hanging out in the studio and they're making fun of each other. You know, they were like two little kids, you know. Yeah. And there was, there was that magic between them, which you know that it's probably how they were, you know, back then, you know. Sure. And it's not only – I mean, we talk about it with Todd a lot, but – and I know that Moogie was doing a few things before the reunion, but it, it really brought back uh, his uh, relationships with Elman and Siegler and Shuckett, too. I mean, they, they had not seen each other for several yeah. decades. And so – 
um, it created, you know, that version he had of Utopia without Todd, and then it created the version with Todd. So, I mean, it, you could just tell, we talked about the first of the show, that it was top of his list, I think, was to reconcile with Todd and, and get this band back together. And he got to do that. I mean, what a great story. Yeah, and uh, I, I'm just so glad I was able to make both uh, Highline shows. I traveled up from Florida. I think one of the things that kind of I felt from him is Moogie was so blown away that people came from all over the world to the yeah. Highline Ball shows. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember talking to him because initially there was going to be, I guess, a Utopia Brother tour at the bitter end. Not a tour, a gig. And it was going to be a benefit. And nobody really thought the connection with Todd was not cemented at that point. And I was going to go up for that. And uh, I called him and I said, look, you know, uh, what's the date? You know, I said, I'm going to come up and, you know, I want to see it. And he said, no, 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 man. Wait, 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 wait. There's something really big coming. And he said, I'll I'll tell you about it as soon as I can. But Todd might play with us. He says, wow. I gotta find a bigger place to do it, but but Todd said he'll do it. And I'm like, Oh my god. I mean I knew that was big. That was big. Yeah. You, know? you just and wonder what it would have been like had it, it was big to all all it. how many people would have showed up. But you had London I know, Scotland of course, Japan. I mean it was just amazing how many people. People from California of course, you know, West Coast. Uh it was a big deal. He was so blown away by it. I mean he was I, I've known him a long time. I never saw him that shocked. <laughs> he just—I mean, it was—it was great to see him that that happy. You know, I mean, he would—he would, could be happy, but he could bum out too. You know, he—he's he, kind—he of, could be moody at times. I mean, you know, like a lot of us can be. But I—he's—I never saw him quite that happy for that sustained amount of time. And it was really great. And uh, I was going to tell you about the Gershwin check, but you guys know all about that. <laughs> well, uh, I kind of had it right. I mean, I, uh, I yeah, saw you, a couple yeah, of Was it the same building? Yeah. The story oh. was that Moogie told me his mother got mad at him. He got in trouble at school or something, and she sent him from Great Neck to live with his dad. And his dad, who was uh, a successful writer, as a matter of fact, the story that Moogie told me is – his father wrote a book that was turned into a movie in the 50s. And I I don't remember what it was, and I should. Uh, It was a very big deal, you know, to the family, I'm sure. But uh, his father had an apartment in the same building that George had his penthouse apartment. And, uh, but he he didn't know that at the time. And, And how he got the check was he wrote a fan letter to Ira Gershwin. Somehow he got it, got a letter to Ira. And with that canceled check, the check is signed by George and it's framed, but there's a a personal letter from Ira Gershwin to Moogie. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I can just tell you, you know, if he had secret sound in the seventies, it was 2005 when I was at his house, he still got that on the wall. It's a prized (laughs) possession to him, you know? And, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm looking at my what list. That, what was the name of the band you were talking about? Were you, your band backed up movies? What, I, what I had a band called the Acid, the Acid Test. And it, it's kind of funny how I met Moogie. I'll try and give you a real 
short answer. I It was a three-piece band, uh, me, drummer, and a guitar player. And I was stuck one weekend for a, a guitar player. My guitar player couldn't make it. And I called all the local guys in Jersey, and everybody was working that Saturday. And I said, okay, I got to shoot high. So I started calling, you know, emailing my friends in New York. You know, I, I even emailed the guy that played with Steely Dan that I knew. I said, look, you know, you want to come to New Jersey? You know, X amount of dollars. It's an easy gig. And so, and I kept getting rejected. You know, people said, oh, I wish we could come. We can't make it. can't make it. Moogie gives me the phone number of this guy. He says, call this guy Jim Sad. And I said, okay. So, I called Jim Satin, and uh, I said, you know, Moogie told me to call you. He said, yeah, Moogie told me. He uh, says, matter of fact, my mother lived. The, the gig was in Toms River, New Jersey. His mother owned a house in Brick, New Jersey, which is not more than 15 minutes from the club. So he even had a place to stay. So Jim came down and played. And I knew Moogie a little bit at that point. You know, we, we exchanged some emails and stuff. I sent him some of my songs, He's, you know, and I was a fan of his, and, so anyway, I, I had mentioned to Jim, I said, you know, you think Moogie would come out and play? And uh, he said, oh, yeah, I, you know. And uh, so I, you know, worked it out that I said to Moogie, I said, look, why don't you come out and sit in? I'll have a piano there for you. You know, you can play what you want, play what you don't want. I'll throw you some money to do it. Well, Moogie turned it into his show. He went from just coming and hanging out there. Well, you know, uh, I'm going to have people come, and I want to be able to do some songs. I said, well, okay, uh, <laughs> what do you want to play? He said, well, you, you guys know Utopia theme? And I said, yeah. He says, are you sure you know Utopia theme? Yeah, I, yeah, I do. Well, well, what about the rest of the guys in your band? Yeah, my, my guitar player does. He couldn't grab that we were really fans of the, that first Utopia record. I mean, as a kid, I transcribed the whole record, everybody's, all the keyboard parts, everything. It was just one of those songs I really liked, you know, and I still would put it on. And the guitar player that I had in the band loved Todd. So it just seemed like, yeah, oh, that would be fun. You know, and then he said, well, what about the Freak Parade? I said, well, Freak Parade, I'm not sure we can get that done with, you know, uh, for this gig, but you know, yeah, we could do that. He said, "Well, I want to do Dust in the Wind." I said, "Okay, we can do that." I want to do. So he picked a bunch of songs. He came, you know, and he came to Tom's River, New Jersey, and did a rehearsal with us. And it was funny. I picked him up at the train station, and he's, he's, you know, he didn't say a word. And I'm figuring, oh boy, this is going to be a long ride. Once we played, he was totally cooled out. You know, once he realized that, yes, we really knew his music, yes, we played it like we meant it, and he was a mush, or a mensch after that. He was just the nicest guy. And uh, so anyway, we ended up playing, I think this was after the Freak Parade, after the triad band that he had. I think he was without a band for a while. And so we, you know, I we ended up backing him up at a few gigs, and uh we did Utopia theme. We did Freak Parade. We did Dust in the Wind. He did a lot of other cover stuff. He did Gloria, you know, by the Shadows of Night. He did uh, what's that little feet tune? Uh, Dixie Chicken. He's a big uh, Billy Payne fan. Um, you know, talking about piano players that he liked. And oh, we did The Wait by the Band. He was a big fan of the band, and. Uh, 
the friendship was great. I mean, I was a keyboard player. I knew he was used to working with two keyboards because of, you know, playing with Ralph. And we really, musically, we just hit it off. And I, I think it's because we liked a lot of the same stuff, you know. It was yeah. just one of those things where it really worked out. It was easy, you know. And uh, and a friendship came out of it for me, you know, for, you know, I guess about a year. And then I moved to Florida. So we'd fallen out of touch, you know, just because of the distance, you know. But um, but anyway, it, it's... the. Him not being here, I, I always did keep in touch with him. If it wasn't an email, I'd call him every three months or something, and just to talk. And you know, and uh, I miss it. I miss him dearly. I really do. And uh, you know, I'm glad I had the high line. You know, to, I was able to pull that off and get up there. The one thing I did want to say is when I heard that, um, I, I guess it was somewhere there was an announcement that he wasn't going to do the tour. I called him and uh, I said, I I knew he wasn't well. I knew he was having a harder time than I had imagined at that point. You know, when, when he couldn't do the tour, I knew that's, I knew things were bad. And then there were a couple people I know that were closer to him who I had contacted and it was, and it was sad. Cause I know that was everything to me. He wanted to do that tour. I mean, we all knew that. Sure. And, uh, and I called him up and I said, I'm so sorry, you know, because my wife, we, we were looking forward to seeing him, my wife and I, and, you know, and it was a blow, you know, as we all felt, you know, I know, I don't think there's any, you know, we all missed him at the, at the shows. And, uh, but he said something that was pretty profound. He was very accepting of his situation. You know, he, he wasn't angry, which I thought maybe he would have been. He wasn't angry and he said, well, the Utopia guys are my friends, you know, and they're worried about me. And he said, you know, I had a little bit of a problem playing, you know, the that fast lick in the icon. Now, when he said that, I knew he really wasn't playing well because he's a guy who can play his ass off. Oh, no question. He's not one of those guys. Who's like, he's nothing wimpy about him, you know, when it comes to playing a piano. Nothing wimpy. But when he told me that, I mean, I knew that was real. I knew for him to tell me that, I knew, I knew he he was in pain. He was really in a bad way. I and, got talked to, to him. Though. I tried to call several times. I kept getting his voicemail was full, and I knew it was, you know. Of course, I'd heard he wasn't doing real well. It just, I mean, just it's just so fast and so rapid. All of a sudden, you know. Yeah, it sure, it we sure was. Yeah, uh, we thought he was going to go on the tour on October 25th. You know, you could tell he was. You know, he wasn't his normal self that day, but um, it, it just really all of a sudden got got to him. But I, I tell you, uh, Tommy, though, you, you mentioned it about how you know you were going to be, he was going to be with your band, and all of a sudden became his band. That that was Moogie's deal. I mean, he liked to be. Oh, the no, front. and we were totally fine with it. You know, I just didn't sure. think, I really didn't think he looked at us that way. You know, I mean, I, I you know, and I certainly didn't think that Moogie would. I. Like I said, the expectation was to have him come down. I had a Kurzweil piano for him to play, which, you know, I knew he loved playing. You know, it had the wood, wooden action, so he'd be comfortable. Just have him come down and play some songs, and you know, for fun. And it was kind of cool. We didn't mind that he wanted to sing. I, you know, a lot of, sometimes when you have a guy sit in with your band, they'll say, I don't want to really sing anything, or I'll just play, or whatever. But Moody was not like that. He was like, yeah, well, can we do this? Can we do it? 
Well, sure. You know, and and we had enough stuff. Oh, I guess he did an hour and a half. I mean, uh, he did an hour and a half. I mean, we did cover stuff, but he picked everything he wanted to do. And uh, it was a gas. I mean, playing with him was it was so much fun. I, I have to say a funny story, though. He he did suffer from performance anxiety, which kind of shocked the hell out of me. Every time we did a gig, he'd get so nervous and uptight. Whoa, whoa, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, and it was, you know, now that I had played, you know, after I played with him a few times, they knew not to pay attention to it. But he just had this thing he went to. He worked himself up and into a little tizzy and, whoa, 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 blah, blah, blah. And he'd get on stage, and you wouldn't even know. He was incredible. I mean, he could be—he was a front man. He'd tell his stories. He was funny. You wouldn't know that he went through this nervous thing before he went on stage, which I, I just thought was—it was—it was really funny to me. That's awesome. He was kind of the same way about the Highline gig, you know, because he really wasn't normally kind. Of, he was playing booking agent, promoter, the whole deal, and yeah. you know, he just—he was just worried. For some reason, he had this—I don't know—I guess paranoia that it was going to fall apart for some reason. And yeah, it- yeah, that's that was typical monkey, you know. But like I said, after the first gig, you know, I said to him, "Look, well, it doesn't matter. If you look, you know, if you don't want to, I even said to him, look, if you don't want to do, if you don't want to do a song, you don't have to do it, you know, and do anything." I said, "Look, if we play something, you know, you know, if, if you know that you don't know, go to the bar and get a drink." It, it was that laid back. This wasn't a big deal, but let me say this though. He was great that night. He was incredible. One of the best nights I'd ever seen him. I mean, I've seen him with the... Um, it was different than what he did with Freak Parade. It was different than what he did at the Triad. It was different than what he did with the Peaceniks. I mean, he was a pretty versatile guy. You know, he, I, I don't think there was a type of music he didn't like. Maybe he didn't like country. I don't know. Uh, but he was really open-minded to a lot of stuff. And... You know, it, he was incredible. He was incredible, and the crowd loved him. You know, some of the people knew him, some of them didn't. And he just was amazing. You know, they told so, all the stories, you know, about how nobody believes that he wrote, you got to have friends, you know. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, he, and we did, we played friends reggae style. <laughs> was, Sorry. You know, he was you know, and I'm thinking, oh, we're going to do it like he did it on his record. No, I'm thinking, oh, maybe he'll do it like Dan Midler. Cause he, oh, no, no, I, I do it reggae. <laughs> uh, okay. Got a little Todd in him on that deal. Yeah. What's that? He's got a little Todd in him on that, changing it up. Yeah, I mean, that was just, it was funny to me. He says, well, I want to do it reggae. And I'm thinking, <laughs> in my head, I'm not, I, I, I'm not thinking how he's thinking. But then he, he started playing it, and, oh, okay. So we'll play it reggae, but he, you know, he, he was he was a character. He was an unusual guy. He was a great guy, um, you know, eccentric genius. Yes, you know, uh, capable of greatness. Yes, uh, incredible rock and roll piano player. One of the best I ever met or played with. Um, you know, and I I use the term music head to describe him. He was into everything. And you can tell from, you know, uh, I missed, uh, did you play uh, Fernando's interview tonight? I played a clip from it. The audio wasn't really up to par. For yeah, it, it, it's, 
when you listen to that, it's in addition to whatever he said on Rengren Radio. He really had a wide interest in music. He was what I call a total music head. Mm-hmm. He knew something about every great piano player and their songs. And he was, you know, and the interview we did with Fernando was, you know, just amazing, like the scope of music that he was into and knew something about. He really was a music head, you know, so to speak. And uh, he mentions he mentioned seeing Jimmy Smith twice in one week. And I was with him one of those nights. We went to Iridium uh, to see Jimmy Smith, the famous organ player, B3 Ammon guy. And it was the week before Jimmy Smith died. And Jimmy was in really poor health, but uh, we were there. And he mentions that, you know, in the interview that he went to see Jimmy Smith. But he was into everybody. He'd go see Mose Allison. I mean, he 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 liked everything, you know. He really was one of the more open-minded music guys I, I've met. You know, he just was into everything, you know. He, he liked Frank Sinatra. Did he ever tell you that? No, no. I don't think you so. like Frank Sinatra. <laughs> and, uh, he probably met him. Probably got him his first gig. <laughs> hey, hey, I don't know if he's that old, but uh, I, to be honest, I was surprised how young Moogie is. I actually thought I never really I knew it, his birthday and mine are close to each other. I'm the first; he's the seventh. And he wouldn't he wouldn't give me a straight answer about it. I said, "Well, how old are you?" And he never would tell me. You know, I knew when his birthday was, but he never told me what year he was born. And so I was a little, you know, shocked to see, you know, he was only four years older than me, you know. I actually thought, you know, maybe, you know, just because of his history and everybody he knew and he had played with, he might have been a little older, you know, than than he actually was. But uh, I think that's about all I got to say. I I mean, I'm really thankful that you, you were able to pull this show together. The edits on the interviews were great. Um you know, you you knew all the sweet spots and the, I think the, the poignant moments. You know, there were tons of them. But I'm really glad that you put the time into this. I I enjoy listening to the show. And uh, um, the last thing I wanted to say is uh, the, the the last few times I had spoken to him, he he was pretty out of it. And I had emailed Dorit and I said I want to send a letter to Mugi. I, I there were things I wanted to say to him that um, I knew if she read him the letter, he he would get it, you know, probably right. better than if I was talking to him and he was distracted because there were always people around him, you know, at the end. So this is the gift I had for him is I wrote this letter and I reminisced about the great times we had. One thing I did, and, and as he mentioned that George, uh, you know, was playing the piano after the Highline shows, is uh, Moogie played a really great piano solo on this version of Dust in the Wind that I did with him. So what I did was, is I, I you know, I in addition to playing in bands, I've taught piano lessons to kids for years. I transcribed the piano solo and put it into music notation, you know, so it would look like sheet music. And I, in my way as a piano teacher and a musician, and I have a son, you know, I thought, you know, if... George is playing the piano. Sooner or later, he's going to want to see something that his dad did. 
And I don't think Moogie was one for writing down solos. He he wasn't the kind of guy that would transcribe his own solos. You know, he was more a song guy. And when he soloed, it was spontaneous. Never the same two nights in a row. You know what I mean? He was a spontaneous player that way. But he did this one solo, and it was great. And it was quintessential Moogie rock and roll piano. It's like it had all his kind of stock licks that he used to do. I transcribed it note for note, and I sent it to Dorrit, and I said, you know, someday George will, you know, be sitting at the piano, and maybe he'll want to see this is how Dad thought when he soloed, you know, because it had all the cool Moogie licks in it. And um, sure. that was my, my touch. I, it was, you know, I'm thinking, what, what can I do to show him appreciation? And Moogie would know. He knew me well enough to know that, you know, I was kind of a technical guy. I, you know, studied classical piano in college and stuff. That he'd expect that kind of, that I would do something like that. I knew he would appreciate it too, you know. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's kind of like there's this piece of music. If he, if George ever listens to Dust in the Wind, it's the solo goes over the chord changes to Dust in the Wind. And when Moogie played it, it was rocking. I mean, it was a great solo and that's why I transcribed it. So hopefully George will be able to look into Moogie's head via the music because you can tell how somebody thinks by the way they solo. At least I found that. Right. I hope we get to stay in touch with George. He was, he's a cool kid. Very nice guy. Well, I, I've taken up enough of your time. Thanks for letting me, uh, you know, put my two cents in and uh, I'll keep watching to see what special shows you got on. All right, man. Thanks, TZ. We appreciate it. All right. Thank you. Man, see you, bro. Good night. All right, happy Thanksgiving. All right, TZ. We knew TZ was good friends with Moogie. He was going to call tonight. Um, yeah. It's, he had some you know, real he, good tales there. I enjoyed that. Yeah. No question. And you mentioned the you know the, the part about uh, you know being upset about Moogie not getting to go on the, the second reunion, but I'll reiterate, I really think that it was meant to be because – Moogie, just like he was when he was in TZ's band, Moogie liked his music to be performed, and Moogie liked it to be about him a lot, which, you know, that's most people. And yeah. this second tour was going to be the first two albums, and they don't include the songs that they did at the Highline Ballroom. And so right. it would have been a different experience for him, and I think he finished on about as high a note as you can finish on. So it's... um. Really good point, yeah, because he got to play Dust in the Wind and Friends and all that, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, he it'd be kind of, from the football reference, it'd be like winning the Super Bowl and then going, you know, starting the regular season and playing a few more games. I mean, that the high line was it. That was his, as they say, the 15 minutes of fame. All right, so we got another call from Florida, 305. But before we do that, since we've been chatting a lot, why don't we take a little music break? Okay. This is a um, cool clip that Dan Stickman sent us to. By the way, sent us several clips today. We appreciate that. The starting clip and the Dust in the Wind clip and some others we may play tonight. But this, I don't think I've ever heard this crazy amount. I bet you have not either. Okay. This is from Moogie's band, let's see, Glitter House from 1968. Oh, cool. Day. Okay. This song is called I Lost Me a Friend. So I hope it's not too sad, but it may be. It may be why Dan sent it to us. But we'll play that, and then we'll be back. Hang tight with us, 305. We're definitely going to take your call. Look forward to talking to you. This is Moogie's band Glitter House. The song is called I Lost Me a Friend, 1968. 
and and he you know this is still during the time he was ill and he yet he was he had complete recall um, much better than I could uh, it was unbelievable when was that when did that happen that movie deal when was that um well this was obviously years after I was in Hollow Notes and years after he was doing uh Utopia so I, I'm guessing late late 70s early 80s um wow I'm trying to remember if I had played with Desmond already by then, Desmond Child, or I'm trying to remember the, the order of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I must have because at that time, I think that, that jacket was the one GE gave me, and that's why I always wore it, and, and I think that's why it was so uh, vivid in his head. Uh, so I'm thinking early 80s or something like that, maybe late 70s. Um, I'm not sure. Like I said, I have the, the worst memory. Too bad Moogie probably could have named the year, right? Uh-huh. In the month. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think he even said that the name of the song, I probably wrote it down somewhere, and I, I've lost where I wrote that down. And he remembered the name of the artist he was shooting, of course, you know. But uh, I don't think there was a copy. I would have killed to see a copy of this, this video he did, you know. But, yeah. Uh, you never know. Stuff shows up all the time. Um, mm-hmm. Tonight, I, I'm a, first of all, kudos on the show you put together. I I didn't think I was going to be able to listen live because I had a rehearsal, but when I got to rehearsal, there was like boxes of CDs we had to sign. So I thought, hmm, perfect. And I pulled out the uh, the uh, new type phone that actually has internet on it, put mm-hmm. my earphones in, and sat there signing 120-something or others and listening to the entire show, and I couldn't get over what work you put in to putting the show together. It's incredibly uh, amazing coverage of, of the whole spectrum of Moogie on Rungren Radio, you know, it's great, Doug. Really good. Well, I enjoyed it, man. It was uh, Mel and I did. Uh, you know, there's a lot of shows we went through, but it's it was fun for us too because we got to you know recall a lot of things that we talked about with Moogie. He's just a fun character, no question about it. The uh, point you made about you know how a lot of us thought, oh, I really wished uh, Moogie would have made that that final tour because that's really uh, something he was uh, going for, but then I had looked at some of the stuff from the January show. I'm so glad I was there. I, and I then it, it hit me that show, like you've been saying, was really different than the tour was. And one of the differences that you haven't pointed out yet was we were all standing up that were on the floor the entire time because there were no chairs, and you know. The tour of this re- the recent tour, you know, everybody had chairs, nice chairs to sit on, and there were people telling people to sit down sometimes, you know. But uh, this this time, look at the pictures from from the January show. Everybody's got their arms up in the air. We're all packed together. We couldn't get enough of Mookie, and Mookie was on fire. He was at the top of his game that night. I couldn't believe it. You, I mean, the solos were incredible. Sure. I mean, just the start of that the, the show we had tonight with the, the piano playing with the Utopia theme, piano, and, and mixed in with some other uh, things. It was just great. I mean, he was yeah, like, like he was on fire, no question. Big overture for the the big show. It was perfect, you know. And uh, I'm glad I saw him after the show. And I really I was trying to hope that that really wasn't the last time I was going to see him. And I'm I just never can accept it that people go away after you know a certain time on earth and i really miss 
Moogie's presence, and I'm I'm glad you're bringing back his spirit by playing this this clips tonight. And uh, I'm amazed that you did you remember all that because you went through the through the uh, archives and heard that thing again, or did you, were you so amazed by recalling it just without even hitting hitting play that you recalled that time when I called in and. <laughs> No, no, I heard it again, listening to oh, it. Okay. I, I went through all the shows. Uh, Mel went through a couple. I went through a couple. You know, we had seven we, we shared and went through all of the shows and, and, you know, clipped what we could to try to get it within a reasonable amount of time. But right. that, that I do very much so remember that story. And I was just like, this, had, this is, it almost sounded fake, like y'all had set it up. It, he was so spot on. Well, I couldn't believe he remembered he got me. He got my name. He 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 knew me immediately. He knew from what band immediately. He said Hollow Notes, you know. And I'm thinking, oh geez, really? You know, I was impressed. But then when he started, I was trying to come up with that the time that we ran into each other in the village and the whole video shoot. And then he just went off on every detail. What I was wearing, the song, what we were doing, the fact that I they put me in it, and. Uh, it just blew me away, and that—that's really that was my my little contribution tonight to call in and and come, sure. Well, you know, that is we got uh, there was a lot of things that we like this George Gershwin uh, living in the same building story. There's a lot of stuff that we did not get to add, so I would recommend people go back and listen to all the shows. The one that I found to be the most informative was the uh, second show we had him on in 2009. Uh, Mel, I'm not sure if, if you had a preference for the ones you listened to um, that you thought was maybe more informative than another. Uh, did you? Maybe? Maybe not? You know, it's always the, the most recent one that that is, you know, the favorite one, I guess is the way of putting it. Sort of like, what's your favorite Todd song? The, the last one right, I heard. Right, Well, they're, they're all great, you know, and um, it's really fun. It's uh, Go back to the when he was interviewed, when you guys would interview him or have him on, uh, what I noticed about those shows was he had so much to tell that you barely could take callers because he <laughs> was he was he was a, a font of of information. But we didn't want to stop him because we could not get enough of it. We thought, yeah, give us more of this. You have so much to tell us, and it's stuff. Some of it, some of it, we've never heard before. What else do you got for us, Mook? Yeah, right, well, it's great. It, it was too. There was. There's a lot of times, though, where he'll say something that we had had him say on a show before. Like he has this story for 10 minutes, you know, right. of how they got secret sound, for example. You know, if you listen to all the shows, you may hear that two or three times. And it's funny, right. you just couldn't stop him. You just got to let him go. And he wants to start telling that story. He gets all excited. He starts telling the story. And it is good every time. And you do pick up something new every time. So right. uh, <laughs> it's and great to like, tell him that story again. Yeah. Yeah. But some people might not have heard it, and uh, and like you say, maybe there's one little wrinkle that was left out of it the last yeah. time you heard it, you know. Sure, But exactly. they're all good. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll all miss them. And thanks yeah, for doing sure the will. show, uh, Doug that? and Mel, really. Yep. Thanks, and Eddie. Thanks a lot, Eddie. And I'm glad, I'm glad I got to listen to it all uh, from the beginning uh, tonight to right now. Now I'll be able to go and switch back to the uh, – I don't even know if this phone will do that. I just probably use the regular computer to listen to the rest of the show. But um, uh, have a good night and uh, the best of the things in the future. With uh, I'm I'm glad you're dedicating the whole the whole show to Mookie. All right, man. Thanks for calling in. 
Okay, bye, Doug and Mel. Forget thanks. Bye. Bye. Very nice, very nice. Wow, Florida's representing tonight. I'm telling you. Yeah. Looks like we got a call from Georgia. Oh, you're good at the at the area codes tonight, aren't you? Well, you know what? This isn't Georgia. This is actually New Jersey. <laughs> it's close. Well, yeah, I'm pretty sure. So let's find out if I'm right. Seven three two, you're with us. Hey everybody, it's uh, not Georgia. It is New Jersey. It's Ralph. Hello. Hi. Yeah. <laughs> How are you, Ralph Garcia? Hey, hey everybody. Ralph, what's going on, man? Ralph, um, you uh, great collection of Moog music, I bet. Um, I do, I do, and uh, I emailed you just now a uh, piece of music um, that he sang at his um, birthday gig last September. Oh, right into the show. They they appear to be have been finished, and he just started to go into another song. Was um, a lullaby song that he sings to George every night, and it was just the most touching piece of music. Um, there wasn't a dry eye in the house, and George was sitting there right next to him, and it was just just absolutely um, um, very heartfelt. You know, you could see how he really, really meant every word in the song. Just to, you know, the song I think was called "Come and Kiss Your Daddy Goodnight." Wow. And it was just a, a beautiful piece of music. So, um, so I created a little bit like of emotions to handle that after some of the yeah. stuff we've heard tonight. We'll definitely play it for sure, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I, anyway, I've been very, as a, as a lot of people are, as we, everybody knows Mivy, uh, I've been very fortunate over the years to have gotten to know him. And, um, and we had a lot of good times together, um, aside from his gigs. You know, we'd go, um, shopping for CDs in his neighborhood, or um, I took him one time to an Elvis Costello concert in the Beacon, uh, which was a lot of fun, because I knew he was a big Elvis Costello fan. And um, when I uh, teach my students, like my piano students, um, I often talk about a particular kind of um, chord progression or a particular style of playing, and I would bring up Mookie's name, and I'd say, well, this musician plays it like this, and, and I would use his example uh, musically. And, and so a lot of my students, even though they don't know uh, his music per se, they know of him. So that's kind of enlightening them, and I'm certainly going to, at this point, uh, share some of his music with them as well so they can they can become fans as well. Sure. Um no, a week ago Sunday, I um, I went to visit Mookie, and I spent a couple of hours with him and Dora, and um, and I, I got to tell Mookie, um, you know, all these well wishes and the love that the fans were sending to him, and um, but to, you know, to tell him that he was he's always been an inspiration as as a as a very decent and warm human being and and an amazing musician and. Um, and that I uh, really value his friendship, and so um, it was it was um, special to me to, to share that with him. So um, I'm glad you got to do that. Oh. Say again. I'm glad you got to do that. Yeah, it, it, it's just that at that point, um, I really was hoping that this, you know, as I was leaving, that this was not the last time I was going to see him, and uh, sadly that wasn't the case. Right. No. But um you know, his his legacy lives on 
everybody loved Moogie and, and uh, everybody knew Moogie. It's just kind of amazing the, the, the reach that, that he had musically, and that's be, partly because he's such a, a great person. And um, and he started in the business very young, as as you all know, um, you know, all the way back to Hendrix. Um, matter of fact, I had the pleasure one time of driving him to uh, Jersey City to a radio station um, to do an interview there, where they did a, a basically a two-hour uh, retrospective of his career. And um, that was a lot of fun to watch and listen to. Um, Love to have that, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because yeah, he just talked about everybody in the business that he had contact with at some point, and, and all the musical things that he had done, and you know how he had gotten and it was with Todd and Utopian and all that other stuff, and then playing with Hendrix early in the day, and uh, Bob Dylan and Bet Midler, all that stuff. So, mm. so, um, so anyway, that's that's. Uh, that's really uh, about it. I, I just want to say that um, to, to me, it's it's a little difficult to still uh, adjust to this. Um, I still expect that the phone's going to ring or an email's going to come through announcing the next gig. It's just kind of hard to, to still get used to this idea that, that we don't have Mookie anymore. Yeah, it's definitely going to be strange. And like he mentioned, you know, it's the, it's the he's the first utopian that uh, yes. with us any longer. Yeah, he was the guy that started it all. Yep. Yep. Oh man, gonna make me cry again. <laughs> uh, well, on the bright side, Moogie, I can say, was was always good for sharing a very funny joke. Uh, what a comedian! I mean, he would tell you either like really funny riddles or jokes, or or he'd just pull your leg and just tell you something that was absolutely outrageous and unbelievable. And then, you know, you'd be in shock, and then you'd go, ha-ha, just kidding. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, a uh, real big kidder, that guy. Yeah. <laughs> just, a real, just a real sweetheart, man. Just, 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 just a nice nice guy. And uh, it, it's um, it's just great that all of us got to know him. Absolutely. Yeah, we and really we did. Accelerated. We're getting to meet him and know him. He went to the Red Bank Healy, Todd Healing Show. You know, people got to meet him at the Highline Ballroom. I mean, um, you know, that, that was a, it was great. People that had not met him before, people that had not seen him in a long time. Uh, uh-huh. Of course, in a lot of those gigs with the Utopia Brothers, people got to go to those. Good stuff. Yep. Well, we well, appreciate you that. sharing memories with us and um, send us that song. We'll definitely play that song. Yeah, I emailed it to you, so uh, check your email. It should be in there. We got um, it. All right. And... Uh, Everyone else out there, just um, let's all remember Moogie for the, for the awesome person that, that uh, he always was and always uh, will be in our hearts. And uh, we'll see you all on the road somewhere. All right, man. See you on the road, Utopia. Right. Definitely. Thanks, Take care. You jay Yeah, uh, take care. All right, man. Okay, so uh, we're going to play that song that Ralph sent us. we got a couple other songs we definitely want to play. we got about 20 minutes left. Uh, we do have another caller, though. So we're yeah, we do. Let's see what's up. I don't know this area code. This is 843. This is Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. Wow. wow. Yeah. Um, I've been hearing talks about uh, song sessions with uh, Jimi Hendrix uh, before he became the Experience Band uh, with Noogie. Are those songs, uh, like, floating around somewhere? Um. 
That's a good question. Eve, uh, he even mentioned the name of the band. I don't know that they had any recordings, you know, unless somebody's got some kind of really super rare bootleg. It seemed like Moogie and that band just played clubs mainly. I don't think there's any studio sessions, but uh, I don't know. If anybody knows, let us know. We'd love to have that. We could play that at some point. It'd be cool. It'd be great to have. All right. Thank you very much. And uh, uh, once again, very much uh, respect for what you guys do. And um, it was uh, was a very empty stage uh, not seeing Moogie um, in Derry back in uh, November uh, the 10th. And uh, uh, keep up the good work, guys. Did you go to Durham show? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, I was at the Durham show. Yeah. yeah. Okay. What's your name? Uh, my name's David. David. All right. Cool. David, David Sobolewski. Yeah. You got to the Durham. Did you? I guess you still like the show, though. I think that's a great venue. Yes. I've heard yes, and uh, a nice show. Yes, it was. Cool. Very good. Um, it was very great that uh, Todd could uh, even still uh, uh, withstand the, the uh, test of time with the energy that he could present. On stage mm-hmm. for the age years. Yeah, that's not easy music, I can tell. Yeah. Um, easy music to play, no question about it. And well, to pull off yeah. those costumes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, before I said, like, I know it's the end of the show when my intestines are full. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh, Some my. of those fell off before the tour was over. I think I ended up having one arm of them and another arm without them. But anyway, for outrageous outfits, no doubt about it. But yeah, definitely yeah. fitting for the time period. No doubt about that. I'm glad you got to see a show. And um, yes, so did I. Yeah, appreciate you calling in, and uh, if we find any right. kind of uh, that music, we'll definitely let you know. And I uh, hope you have a good Thanksgiving, man. All right, thank you. You too, sir. All right, see you. Bye, David. Goodbye. All right, cool, David. I don't know if he's called in before or not. That was cool. Nice call. Yeah. Um, all right, so it looks like that may be. You said you were going to play something. Um. Yeah, I got some music, but that's some... uh, Oh, here, it actually showed up finally. All right, so this is a song that Ralph sent us. I got a feeling we're going to have to get our Kleenex out. Oh, boy. Which I was kind of hoping that that period was over, but, uh, hey, we want to remember everything, anything, and everything. And I I do apologize that we had to play some sad moments, but they led up to, and they were a big part of what we consider, um, you know, one of the biggest and most important two nights of Moogie's life. And uh, something that he really wanted to have happen and got to, got to get his wish come true. Yeah. So this song uh, was dedicated to George at Moogie's birthday party, which was uh, this year uh, in New York in September. Uh, appreciate Ralph Garcia sending this in. Here we go. Just fly off to your world of dreams. 
girlfriend of Moogie Klingman's. Whether you were a new fan, whether you were an old fan that was at Central Park, it did not matter. If you were a Utopia fan, you were getting the love for Moogie Klingman, and he was always happy to see you. He loved for you to be at the shows or to listen to his music. And luckily we're all blessed that we get to hear it. And I hope you got to learn a little bit more about Moogie tonight, and I know everybody's going to remember him forever. And we appreciate you listening, and we're going to finish the show with some songs. Well put, Doug. Very, very well put. All I have to add is shine on, Moogie. We loved you. All right, everybody. Have a great Thanksgiving.
My friends uh, from the Peaceniks, my band, Barry and Patty, Patty Rothberg, Barry Gruber. You know, just help me, and they're all going to help me, because way back early on, I wrote a song. I wrote it with a guy named Buzzy Linhart, and, and uh, the song became so big. It became such a part of the American Standard songbook that nobody really believed that I wrote this song. So it's got to be like uh, Carol King or Billy Joel, but no, folks. Uh, I wrote this one with Buzzy. And uh, you all know this song. And, and this song, 
really is about us here tonight. Because when I asked my friend Todd Rundgren if he'd help me out, if he would do this great benefit and put together this great old man with me, he said yes. Oh, was and so I want to thank Todd from the bottom of my heart for all he has done to make this happen. Thank you, Todd. Thank you, Ralph Shuckett, for flying in from California. Todd from Honolulu. Thank you, John Siegler. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Curtis King and Daryl Took. Jesse Dress and Kevin Elman. And Chasm Sultan, the man behind the legend for so many years. Thank you so much for making this such a beautiful night. And when we get to the chorus, sing along with me. Yes, I, I wrote this song with Buzzy. I am all alone here. There is a no one here beside me. All my problems, they are gone. There is no one to deride me. Get ready, folks. But you got to have faith. The feeling is so, so strong. You got to have faith. Yeah, I'm going to get this. Barry! Just 